Okay, now you should be able to hear me. Sorry I'm late. I decided to descale my Keurig, and um, I got all the way through with that. And actually, I was just about to fix the cup of coffee and come up in here uh, with a delicious cup of coffee, and then the cream that I use was bad. I poured it in there, and it started separating. Oh, man, I was so pissed. I did all that fucking shit for nothing, basically. Uh, let me go ahead and send out the alert. I'll go ahead and turn on the trial right now. I'd like to talk to you about uh, a related concept. You're familiar with the uh, critical decision. This is Sergeant model? Kerr Yang, yes, crisis intervention How are coordinator. You with that model, I attended the, the critical decision making model was Mr. Miyagi introduced to us by the police police executive research forums. I, along with some of my colleagues, we attended a training session that was conducted by a representative from PERF, or the Police Executive Research Forums, and we adapted it, that model to MPD's use to guide our officers in their decision-making process. And does so I got no coffee, but I did fucking descale the Keurig. I'm going to have to go buy, I'm going to go buy some cream right after this, I swear to God. Also an application to Honestly, force. yes. If it had been any other time, I, except for like right before the kill stream, I would have just stopped and went and got some cream. But uh, publish exhibit two seventy six, the critical decision making model. You recognize this document? Yes, sir. And this is the critical decision making model with which you're familiar. Yes, sir. Could you please explain, uh, based on your familiarity with this uh, this graphic? The, What's up, the Fashion Barbecue? Good morning, everybody. Sorry I'm mad I didn't get my coffee. Now, normally I've been having May like go up to fucking Starbucks here and there and give me some shit, but she's not back till tonight, so. That was introduced to the department. What is I could do that, actually. Procedural they charge a shit ton, though, Epstein. Legitimacy in our action. What, what we do if, if I make $10, I might. Is legitimacy. And uh, the, the training center also... Yeah, you're right. I could do that. We'd be... Uh, procedural justice as well. Is that right? That is correct, yes. This critical decision-making model is adapted in part from those materials. Yeah, I do have a Procedural cure. justice materials. That is correct, yes. Okay. Now, um, going back to the outer part of the circle, uh, the first step of information gathering, you see that it goes kind of a wheel you send that's out the tweet. to represent uh, critical decision-making or thinking. Is that right? That, that is correct. Uh, would you please, we've heard a little bit about this uh, critical thinking uh, decision-making model already, but I'd like you to discuss how this works in the context of crisis intervention, uh, starting with the first uh, block. Starting the first is information gathering. We believe that this model has application not only for crisis, but especially for crisis. That is why it is part of our crisis curriculum. And the first um, circle, what you see there is information gathering. And information gathering is being crucial to how... Entropy link, killstream.live slash entropy. And information gathering could be based on dispatch, or it could be based on... The I'll put the links out there. Good morning, um, YouTube. Observation. Observations of what? Observation of the scene, observation of the person, could be observation of the environment that is going on, so... And some of these observations, uh, for example, could just be physical observations, right? The officer could look at the person and make some sort of an assessment um, as to whether or not there's a behavioral crisis. Yes. Um, listening, is that also important? Listening is important, yes. Any other information that an officer would 
generally assess or take in when considering whether a person is in crisis? Even listening, um, listening is key. Other observation, even touch. Oh, you observe hands on the beauty. Person, you can sometimes sense tensing up, and you can tell that maybe the person's in crisis or not. So, then uh, going to the next step, taking that information and potentially assessing it. Uh, what's the the threat uh, threat risk assessment block? Risk is the possibility that something bad or dangerous may happen, and threat, in a sense, is the danger and whether that danger is going to cause harm or not. Now, with risk, you say it's the potential, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is being threatened or themselves is threatened. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, sir. It's just the mere possibility. And uh, many people could present some sort of a risk. Everybody presents some sort of a risk, right? Yes. And it's up to the officer and the information gathering to determine whether that risk is small, large, or elevates to a threat. Uh, sustained. And how does the, I apologize, Your Honor, how does the officer then uh, assess whether or not a threat, uh, I'm sorry, a risk is small, large, or... Uh, By the way, I'm going to mute this last night just to note that I turned on Court TV right after I was done with the kill stream, uh, and there was two things. So one, the, the, the main anchor was absolutely astonished that the police chief had admitted that the knee was on the shoulder instead of the neck. He thought that was a huge deal. Camera angle may change perception of knee position. And there was another segment where they were kind of hard on Nelson for not uh, objecting more, objecting more during the chief's testimony, saying he was getting away with uh, with murder, basically with uh, just being able to pontificate. Which actually, if there is a criticism of Nelson, I would I would accept that one actually. Uh, policies and the authority could include the use of force policy. Yes. Uh, the de-escalation policy. Yes. And the crisis intervention policy. Yes, sir. Um, the next step, then, goals and actions. Please describe uh, the thinking model in terms of crisis intervention regarding goals and actions. Goals and action is also contingency on based on the information. Really, the ultimate goal and action of somebody in a crisis is to see if that person needs help and what kind of help. Does that person need to go to the hospital or does the person can be... Uh, uh, turn over to somebody that has the authority to watch over that person. So it's really to go for somebody in crisis is determined to see if that person needs help. Okay. And then the next block in terms of crisis intervention, review and reassess. Could you please describe how that works in this scenario? Review and reassess is as information becomes available, we continuously review and reassess the situation to see if our technique on de-escalation or other technique is working. If it's not working, then we adjust our technique and our strategies. Okay. Um, could you also then go backwards and adjust your goals and actions? Yes, you can. Okay. So, for example, if uh, initially the goal is to arrest someone, uh, after taking in information, if you uh, determine the person needed medical attention, could you act on that? Yes. And then what would the action be if the person was in need of medical attention? That would be the immediate goal for us. If somebody's in need of medical attention, then we give them medical attention. Okay. And then that would uh, also relate to the backwards to the authority to act. Is that right? Yes. Um, looking at the policy, and there's a, a duty to provide medical attention in the policy, right? Yes. Now, how is this critical decision-making model 
uh, imparted to Minneapolis police officers in the training program? We believe in the application of these critical decision-making models. So oh, there you go. Good to see you this morning, brother. This model, um, with approval, of course, to the department in 2018. And... Uh, you know, you've been in the situation where you've had to use force before. You were in the field for a long time. Uh, do you have an assessment as to whether or not this model is useful in the field? I believe it's useful. That is why we introduced this model and introduced it to the officers. And is it practical? It is practical. Yeah, I believe it is practical. And can you explain how so? I mean, some of these situations uh, involving police officers occur fairly quickly, is that right? That is true. Is it possible for a police officer to use this critical thinking model in the field um, when actions are, I'm sorry, when, when events are unfolding quickly? It, it is possible. Thanks, MB. I see you if in YouTube chat. Using this model, it would almost be like, um, it could be almost like. Maybe. By the way, you guys didn't miss anything. And when we talk about fast evolving situations, I know that they do exist, they do happen. But a lot of the time, we uh, converse of that is that a lot of the time, we have the time to slow things down and reevaluate, reassess, and, and re, um, go through this model. Do you provide this training because you believe it works? I will provide this training because I believe it does. It works. Yes. Uh, thank you. I have no further questions. Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson. Killstream.live slash tip. Killstream.live slash entropy. Oh, Brian, thank you, buddy. Uber Eats coffee. I guess I got to order now. <laughs> oh, shit. Thank you, sir. Okay, you know what? Fuck it. That's lowering the profit margin from the stream, but you paid for it, so okay. Let me sell Good morning, how much that'll take. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being here with us today. I have a few follow-up questions. Um, so your role with the Minneapolis Police Department is currently uh, training uh, officers involved in the crisis intervention techniques. That's correct, sir, yes. As well as the uh, critical decision. Nelson looks like he's got his game face on even more so than um, usual. And you, were, you assisted the Minneapolis Police Department in developing its policies and procedures surrounding both uh, the crisis intervention technique as well as critical decision-making policies, right? Yes, sir. Right. You said you introduced these policies with uh, the approval from the chief or the higher-ups, right? It has to be approved before we can deliver this training, yes. Right. And these trainings then ultimately helped form some policies of the Minneapolis Police Department. Yes, but not the critical decision-making model. It's not in the policy. Right. But the crisis intervention technique is in the policy. Crisis intervention is in the policy, yes. Okay. So, and you have a long career as a police officer, both in the field and also in the training or and investigation units. And so you have your own personal experiences in dealing with people out on the street, right? That's correct, yes, sir. Now, are there situations in your own experience where you've had to use force on someone and other people observing the use of force don't like what you're doing? Yes, sir. And in fact, I believe um, you would describe sometimes that the public doesn't understand 
that police actions can look really bad. That's correct, so yes. Right. And, and, um, but they still may be lawful even if they look bad, right? Yes, sir. And part of the, the whole goal of the crisis intervention technique or policies is to not only deal with the suspect, but also other people who may be watching, correct? That's correct, yes, sir. And so in situations where citizens or bystanders start to congregate and walk or watch what police are doing, you would agree that that could potentially become a crisis for those observers? Potentially, yes. And you um, train officers in how to deal with those situations, right? That's correct, yes, sir. When we look at the critical decision-making pol or uh, model, not policy, but when we look at the critical decision-making model, that is what you would describe as a rapid, very dynamic model, right? Yes, sir. It's not just focusing on one particular thing, it's assessing many, many things that are happening in the context of an arrest, right? Yes, sir. And some of those things could be the interactions that you're having with citizen observers, right? Yes. And the training that you provide, um, there are materials that there the department go. maintains, correct? That's correct. So I'm going to ask uh, the court to... I'm ordering my lots, I am listening, by the way. The witness. Um, <laughs> what has been marked as Exhibit 122. Do you recognize this to be training materials prepared by the uh, Minneapolis Police Department Crisis Intervention Team? Yes, sir. All right. And so I'm going to just go... So going to have you just look at this. Uh, this is the material and the training materials that the crisis intervention team present to the officers in this 40-hour training, right? No, sir. This is the training that you received? This is the training that I created. That it wasn't delivered to Shavlin or the other officer. Okay, so this is something that you created to train Minneapolis police officers. Yes. Right? All right. But you, this, and this is a more recent model than the 2018 model? This is a program that we created really to target. That's not too bad, really. Cadet Academies. Okay. Yeah. $13? I mean, it's way overpriced, don't get me wrong, but 13 bucks is not too bad. Okay. But some of the information is generally applicable to all police officers who are trained in crisis intervention. What's the tip, as though? Well Hold on. As de-escalation, right? Yes, sir. And um, officers are trained to look for potential signs of aggression from suspects or crowd uh, Ebevor, right? thank you. Yes, and what are some I appreciate that, brother. You paid for a cake up, he said. Aggression that officers are trained to watch for. Based on this document that you send here, it could be standing tall, red in 250 the face, tip. raised voice, rapid breathing, muscle tensing, agitations, pacing, prolonged eye contact, exaggerated stretcher, uh, gesture. Okay. So an officer who is uh, making an arrest of a suspect, and there's bystanders. Uh, ah, fuck it! I said I was going to do it. And um, growing in their intensity, these are the types of thank you, sir. Officers are specifically trained to watch for. From my inner cheapskate was not almost not going to do it, right? but yes. 
Well, it's for one cup of coffee. What do you mean? What am I going to get my $20 tip? The fuck? Okay, it's supposed to be here in 30 minutes. I went ahead and ordered it. They're on, uh, not break, but um, sidebar here. Okay, hopefully it's not long. They'll have their morning break as usual. Um, last night we went over a lot of the testimony on the kill stream. Uh, we may pull up like a um, greatest hits cl- a clip of the chief. Uh, the chief, we, we saw him yesterday morning, but uh, during the afternoon session, he kind of got beaten up a little bit uh, by Nelson. I thought he did a, a very good job raising, raising reasonable doubt, and he even got the chief to admit uh, that the knee wasn't on the neck. Now, of course, they turned around and said, oh, it was on there the whole time before. But in my mind... Uh, he kind of raised reasonable doubt about the whole angle of the video uh, and whether you're seeing what you think you're seeing uh, at all. So I thought it was a very effective uh, cross-examination uh, by Mr. Chad Nelson. Scuffed Ryan Gosling. Thank you for the unicorns there. Uh, not an Irish coffee, just a regular coffee. Um, so that's that's the thing there. I, t- I mean, that's still a 20% tip. What the fuck? I don't know what you guys give, but I don't give tips out larger <laughs> Twenty percent. What the fuck? It was two fifty. That was twenty percent of the of the deal there. Uh, what did I get for fifteen dollars? I just got a cup of coffee. That's literally what I got. So I basically paid triple for that cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean, the guy paid for it, so that's why. This is why I left. Well, I mean, it would only cost $5 if I would have went there and got it. Um, so, and I actually descaled. Like I said, you might not have came in here at the beginning, but I descaled the Keurig, did all this shit. I was going to be, I was not going to be fully, I was sitting there waiting for the trial to start. They didn't start till like 1035 or something. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and descale the Keurig. It's been sitting there for a couple weeks and I've been waiting to clean it. And so I did that. And then the cream was, was bad because I haven't used it in a while. Rephrase. Thank you. Mr. Yang, as a part of, or excuse me, Sergeant Yang, as a part of your, is ages, um, you're right. your role in the Minneapolis Police Department, do you train both cadets, recruits, as well as uh, veteran officers? Yes, I do. Okay. And you, can you describe the difference between the training that a cadet would receive versus a uh, veteran officer something like this will be given to the recruits and officers that have gone through the Minnesota CIT officers associations training on crisis de-escalation we will give them a progression training we will introduce other topics uh, other topics like autism to them and go through different type of traffic that is part of crisis training so it's a little bit different it's different from what the recruits and the uh, regular officer will get. Now, the information in the it, that is um, presented to recruits versus veteran officers, is it generally the s- same type, broad categories of information? It's possible the same, yeah, similar. We want to be consistent, so it's similar, yes. Right. And so the information that a veteran officer would receive in a 40-hour training would be inclusive of what to look for in terms of crisis, would it not? Yes. Right. You're train, you would train officers on the policy about crisis intervention, correct? Yes. You would train them about what to look for when a person is in crisis, right? Yes. Are you talking about recruit training or the veteran officer? The veteran officer. The veteran officers, 
Are you referring to the 40-hour training? Or? Yes. 40-hour is training. I have nothing to do with the 40-hour training for the veteran officer. That's Minnesota CIT Officers Associations. Okay. So you don't know any information that the veteran training officer, the veteran officers would receive? I do know some of it, but not the entire curriculum. Okay. You've trained veteran officers yourself? I do, but not in the 40-hour week. Understood, but in the refresher type courses. Refresher type course, yes. Right, and in the refresher type courses, do you discuss wow. with so this guy doesn't know shit. Uh, the the policy of crisis intervention. Yes. Do you discuss with officers? Gamer Aesthetics the, made the design. Uh, signs to look for, both in terms of suspects as well as individuals observing. Especially the suspects. Especially the suspects. Yes. But ultimately, I'll link you his Twitter. You would agree that that training also includes the critical decision-making model, right? Yes. And the critical decision-making model is not limited to a, or focused on simply the suspect, correct? Uh, he's back onto a topic where he can lead now. Correct? I'm sorry? Uh, I was just answering the objection. It's overruled, so you can answer. Okay. Will you repeat that, sir? Sure. Um, I have to remember my question. <laughs> uh, the critical decision-making policy that you train veteran officers on would be inclusive of people other than just the suspect. Here's the Twitter of the guy who designed correct? this, by the way. There is no policy on the critical decision-making model, only on the crisis policy. Okay. The critical decision-making model, I keep calling it a policy, that's just my fault, but the critical decision-making model is not limited to interpreting or responding to the suspect exclusively isn't. That's correct. An officer is trained in the critical decision-making model to go out and review the entirety of the situation, the totality of the circumstances, correct? That's correct, sir. And the totality of the circumstances is more than just how you interact with the subject with whom you are arresting, right? That's correct. That would include citizen bystanders, right? That's correct. What to do when a citizen bystander starts filming you? That's correct, yes, sir. How to try to interpret whether citizens pose a threat or a risk, right? Right. How to, you, you would consider your own interactions also with the suspect themselves, correct? That's correct. And you describe this critical decision-making model as being a very dynamic, ever-changing thing based upon information that comes to the officer in real time, right? That's correct, yes, sir. And so an officer may consider, uh, who has used force, may move backwards in the policy, but may have to jump somewhere else in the policy because new information comes, or the, the model. Yes, sir. And so it is a constantly evolving process where an officer is entrusted to make decisions based on all of the information that he or she perceives, correct? That's correct, sir. Yes, sir. Right. And that also would include training, right? Their training. Yes, sir. And other things um, that may not be apparent to a citizen. Yes, sir. Tactical decision making, for example. Yes, sir. Knowing that um, medical help was on the way, right? 
Yes, sir. Melina Whitestrake says, Ralph, what are you doing paying 13 cups and searching dogs for a cup of coffee? Safety. Train your lady friend to do a pour over. You so can get a whole bag of, of good these, beans for thirteen dollars. One small thing that you're focused. May's out of town till tonight. That you're arresting, you're taking in a lot of information and processing it all kind of simultaneously through this critical decision making model. Agreed? That's great. Yes, sir. All right. And so, in terms of, and I'll I'll take this down for now, but in terms of the information that you uh, advise or talk to um, officers, veteran officers about, or how to recognize the signs of someone in crisis. Usually she waits on me during these, yeah. And the but Minneapolis me now, Department so. policy on crisis intervention has a pretty specific definition of what constitutes a crisis, right? Yes, sir. It does not, it's not limited to someone who may have a mental health problem, right? Yes, sir. It's, it, in, it could include people who are using controlled substances. Yes, sir. It could include oh, people they're linking who are the assistant experiencing some event some pictures of her. that is overwhelming them, right? Yes, sir. And that may be losing a job or getting a divorce, but it could be what that person is observing at the time. Agreed? Yes, sir. I'll check that out, Resilient. So Thank you. Stocking milk coffee. The crisis intervention policy actually defines crisis as having a trajectory, correct? Yes, sir. And that that trajectory can increase in its severity over time. Yes, sir. And that's why it becomes important for an officer to create time and distance, right? Yes, sir. And creating time and distance for an officer is an important part of the de-escalation process, is it not? Yes, sir. Nelson is fucking, this is a master class. Win or lose, this and guy's been amazing. Would you agree that you train police officers that as that intensity of Friend town crisis coffee? increases, I'll check that too. the risk or threat I'm trying to, to find a good picture of her. grows greater? I don't believe I train a specific like that. Because as the intensity, my training is that as the intensity increases and you have the distance, and you, like you said, the time, you try to bring it down, not increase the intensity of it. I'm, what I'm talking about is not the, the officer trying her. to increase the intensity mm -hmm. of it. My question is this. As a person is in crisis, I and the intensity smash, of their own personal crisis grows... You train officers that as they kind of get more intense, the risk to the officer or others... They say about a month. Later. Yes, sir. Four to six weeks for the trial. And in fact, um, officers are trained to respond to that in a variety of ways, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, some literally, the, it's supposed to be a month. Um, some of the techniques that the Minneapolis Police Department trains both veterans and recruits would be to, to have a confidence about them, right? Confidence about them? Right. Yes, sir. An officer should try to appear confident in his or her actions. Yes, sir. They should also try to stay calm, right? Yes, sir. They should try to maintain space, right? Yes. They should speak slowly and softly. 
Yes, sir. They should avoid staring or eye contact. Yes, sir. And ultimately, when a police officer is dealing with any situation, they could be dealing with baby. any number of people who are in crisis. Cash right? money, bang, bang. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. The subject, the arrestee, may be in crisis, right? Yes, sir. People who are watching may be in crisis. Yes, sir. Another officer could be in crisis. Yes, sir. Right? And an officer has to Amy Voss, take that's all her of name. that in and do this assessment and make a determination as to what his or her next steps would be. Right? Yes, sir. I'll find a picture of her. And the observations of the officer in that situation, I think you described on direct examination, you described that an officer will also take into and apply to the, the, the critical decision-making model his own sensory, his or her own sensory perception. Yes, sir. So there she the is. Got it. Boom. Of having a feeling a suspect be tense, right? Yes, sir. Or loose, right? Yes, there sir. There she is. What they may hear smash into play. Yes, sir. So if they hear um, people threatening them or th potentially threatening violence, that goes into that critical decision-making model as well. Right? Yes, sir. And oftentimes, the scene of an arrested individual smash. Is I guarantee she goes crazy on the dick. Are you guys not? Yes, yeah, fuck. I think she's pretty too. Yeah, I actually do. Well, she's looking solemn in that photo. You know what I mean? Any redirect? Yes, sir. Somebody says smash and make her pay for breakfast too. Oh, uh, Polino, thank you. He before, thank you. Brian, again, thank you for the coffee. It's on the way, brother. Two seventy-six again, please. Thank you. So I'm displaying again the critical decision this making model that you've uh, been testifying about. And uh, the thrust of your direct testimony was using this in terms of assessing a person in crisis for the purpose Shout of determining clips. whether or not they needed uh, medical intervention. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, We're already up to 450 this morning. This, Thank you, guys. To some of the broader force concepts um, that uh, defense counsel was questioning about. Uh, again, all of these things must be taken into uh, account when deciding the next step. Is that right? Yes, sir. And the officer always has to keep in mind uh, their authority to act. That's one of the parts of the model. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, defense counsel asked you uh, if uh, the officer should just focus on one small thing. And I would like you to make some sort of comment on differentiating between a small thing and a big thing, because you would agree that something that is a big thing would probably be more important than a small thing, right? It depends on what the big thing is and what the small thing is. Well, for example, if we're looking at uh, assessing somebody's medical condition. Y'all get that fixed, DD12, thank you. For the purpose of rendering emergency aid, would that be a big thing or a small thing? That would be a big thing. 
if then that is contrasted with, say, uh, a 17-year-old filming you with a camera, would that be a big thing, the filming, or a small thing? The filming would be a small thing. And so then if you're taking all of the situations, all the circumstances into account, um, you have a big thing and you have a small thing, you're again looking at your authority to act, and that's policy, right? Yes, sir. And policy would include uh, uh, the uh, policy governing the use of force and that it must be reasonable, correct? Yes, sir. And it would also include for authority to act the duty to render uh, medical aid. Is that right? Yes, sir. As the policy is written, correct? Yes, sir. Which includes not only contacting the ambulance, but performing emergency aid like chest compressions or CPR. Yes, sir. Nothing further. Anything further? Next witness, please. Bomb out of here. Sergeant Yang, in terms of the critical decision making model, again, fucking Yang's granddaddy up here talking shit. Medical aid threats uh, from citizens or observers, whether people are recording what you're seeing, what you're feeling. Did Nelson smash that? All is premised on whether it is safe and feasible to do something, correct? Yes, sir. Nothing further. Anything else? No, you're right. Thank you, Sergeant. Thank you, Your Honor. Coffee's on the way. Wish I could get some Starbucks stars for Oh, okay, thanks. Okay, you fuckers. Do another witness before you go on break. Jesus Christ. All right, next witness, please. One dollar <laughs> Quite that, but not too far off. Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, the state calls Johnny Mercil. By the way, what happened with the... They had a... A hearing on um, what's his name? Hold on, I'll find that out about the drug dealer. Testimony about to give be the truth and nothing but the truth. Yes, Your Honor. Have a seat, please. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You anticipate what I was going to ask you to do. Um, if we could have you state your full name, spell each of your names. Johnny Mercil, G O H N N Y. Mercil is M E R C I L. Mr. Slusher. Oh, shit. Sorry, how are you employed? I'm with the City of Minneapolis Police Department. And what do you do for the City of Minneapolis? Wolfgang, thank I'm you, brother. I'm on medical leave, um, but I'm a lieutenant with the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, how long have you been with uh, MPD? Uh, since 1996. I'd like you to tell the jury a little bit about yourself first. Could you share your educational background? Yes, sir. I got a four-year degree from the University of North Dakota in criminal justice studies. What year? Uh, I graduated in 95. Uh, and uh, after you graduated uh, from the university, did you get a job in law enforcement right away or did you go elsewhere? No, sir. I got hired uh, from the Minneapolis Police Department in 1996 and joined the Minneapolis Police Academy. Okay. Uh, describe your academy experience. Uh, I was a cadet, so we did a, a combination of the police academy along with college uh, courses to qualify for the Minnesota post-test. Did you uh, take and pass the post test? Your license, yes, sir. Licensed peace officer? A little bit so we don't talk over each other. Yes, Your Honor. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. All right. 
Um, after you completed your coursework with the academy, did you go into a field training program? Yes, sir. Yeah. How long were you in that program? I believe it was about four months at that time. Okay. And then you uh, received your first assignment as a police officer, is that right? Yes, sir. Can you please tell the jury what your first assignment was? Where were you and what were your duties? Yes, I was a patrol officer assigned to the 3rd Precinct, which is um, southeast Minneapolis. Um, and duties are uh, patrolling the streets, answering 911 calls. Okay. How long did you serve as a patrol officer in the 3rd Precinct? Uh, initially for a couple of years, and then I went to the community response team, which is a plainclothes unit. What is, it's also referred to the community response team. I've heard it called the CRT. Uh, yes, sir. Well. CERT, CERT team. CERT team. What does that do? Uh, they, they respond to the local community's concerns about crime, um, prostitution, drug dealing, gang activity. How long were you with the CERT team? I did that for about three years. And then uh, what was your assignment afterwards? From there, I went to the Mountain Patrol unit, and that was a technically downtown unit at the time. What does the Mounted Patrol unit do? Uh, we, we patrol on horseback, uh, mainly crowd control. Uh, for, for busy times in Minneapolis, uh, we focused on bar clothes in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, how long did you do that? Uh, full time for about a year and a half, and then I went to patrol in downtown uh, Middle Watch, in the precinct. Okay. How long were you in the downtown Middle Watch assignment? I was on downtown Middle Watch until 2006. And then I got promoted to sergeant. Uh, in order to be promoted for sergeant, did you take a, an exam and uh, pass it? Yes, sir. It's a it's a, a civil service exam along with an assessment center. And after you were selected as sergeant, you received your first uh, assignment. Yes, sir. What was that? I went to the robbery unit uh, in downtown here at City Hall, uh, and then from there I went to the juvenile unit. Oh, I didn't know that, Epstein. Wow, and cool. I eventually ended up back downtown. Just still get my stars? Cool. Okay. Uh, and how long did that take? What year are we up to now? Oh, I think we're at about 2007, 2008. Okay. Clifford Clavin says that. they're going to ruin King of the Hill. That's no bueno. I ended up going back to Mounted Patrol full-time as a sergeant in charge of the unit. Uh, that went through 2009. A lot of these fuckers sound Canadian because the they're so far up and north. Half, and then I went to the uh, Minneapolis Police Department's uh, gang enforcement team as a sergeant, okay. and then we. Uh, Why so this guy looks like a dirty crimes, cop? Crimes. Uh, and then after that assignment, <laughs> kind of. Uh, I end up on the north side on patrol for. I don't know that he is, year, but a year and a half, and then I went back downtown as a sergeant on the community response team, the CERT team downtown. And then in 2017, I uh, took the exam for lieutenant and passed, and was a lieutenant uh, in 2017. And where were you assigned then as a, as a lieutenant? After I got promoted, I was uh, transferred to the training division in charge of use of force. Okay. Um, I'd like you to talk to the jury a little bit about your own background in uh, the use of force. You're familiar with the uh, Minneapolis Police Departmental policy regarding the use of force? Yes, sir. I trained for several years for that. That was a part of your academy training? Uh, partially. You know, you, you get to be familiar with the use of force of the academy. And then uh, after you left the academy, uh, did you have to take refresher courses, which would have included use of force training every year? Yes, sir. In order to maintain your post license? 
That's correct, sir. Have you had uh, training uh, beyond that, beyond what was uh, presented at the academy and uh, your yearly certification? Yes, sir. Uh, could you please describe it? Yes, I became a, a part-time use of force instructor in about 2010, and I maintained that um, part-time status as a use of force instructor uh, up until I was promoted to lieutenant, where I went to the training unit full-time. What did you have to do to become qualified to be a use of force instructor? Went through different courses uh, designed to train us up on use of force. Um, I also started uh, training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the department as part of our ground defense initiative. Um, several other classes and, and different academies I went through too. And, and I'd like to maybe uh, qualify a few terms if we may. Uh, we've talked about use of force and use of force training. We also hear the term defensive tactics. Can you differentiate between the two? Well, I think they're, they're interchangeable. Um, I think use of force is probably the more appropriate term, but I think defensive tactics has been more of a term that's been used longer, so people tend to refer to use of force instructors as defensive tactic instructors. Uh, would a defensive tactics, in, in terms of defense, defensive tactics instruction, uh, include more uh, hands-on type instruction? You'd mentioned uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for example. Yes, sir. Right. Uh, were you interested in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before uh, becoming a police officer? Or how did that develop? No, sir. I was in martial arts through college, uh, and then I got interested in it from some of the other use of force instructors, kind of recruited me to do that. Um, and really f fell in love with the art form and, uh, and really what its implications and, and uses are for law enforcement specifically. <coughs> Would you please just provide a very high-level overview of what uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is and uh, <laughs> some of its basic principles? Yes, sir. It's a, it's a form of martial art that really focuses on leverage and body control, um, de-emphasizes strikes. In, in a true Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there aren't strikes. There's no punching or kicking. It's using your body weight, kind of like wrestling, and joint lock, manipulation, uh, neck restraints, things, uh, things that, you know, pain compliance as well as um, uh, physical body control to get people to comply. Mm -hmm. So you use that phrase, uh, pain compliance. What, what is that? Pain compliance is uh, using a technique that causes the person you're using it against to have pain so they comply to your um, whatever it is you're asking them to do. So if we were to use an example, maybe from childhood, you're familiar with the game Mercy? Yes, sir. Right, where you lock fingers. And I am. Classic game. Twist down and then somebody has to submit. Is it similar to that? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, although uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not the only defensive tactic that officers at MPD are trained on, is it? No, sir. It's, it's just one of a variety of different uh, tools that can be employed uh, to deploy force. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, for the purpose of enforcing the law, correct? That's correct. And uh, as a use of force instructor, after you became certified, did you have to become knowledgeable in all the relevant departmental policies and procedures regarding the use of force, the 5-300 series. Yes, sir. As well as state law governing the use of force, which is largely integrated into Minneapolis departmental policy. Is that right? Yes, sir. 
And uh, you indicated that uh, you were the lieutenant. You were a lieutenant over in the training center. Is that right? Training division, sir. Training division. And please describe your role then as a lieutenant in the training division. Yes, sir. I was in charge of use of force. I was also in charge of our patrol operations section of training as well as the police range. Uh, and I was in charge of all of our continuing education. This guy looks like a character from The Shield or some shit, doesn't he? Mandates to maintain their license to be a police officer. And as part of that, to make sure that you're properly reporting to the post board, uh, you keep records, sign-in sheets and whatnot of uh, particular officers having completed training. Is that right? That's correct. And those training hours are collected and reported into the Workforce Director Program? Yes, sir. So you have an accurate record of uh, who's been trained in what, is that right? Yes, sir. And uh, is it, uh, in, when you're the lieutenant of the, of the training division in youth use of force, are you coordinating both pre-service and in-service training? Yes, sir. The pre-service side would, would be use of force, uh, the range, and patrol operations. Uh, the in-service side is what we consider to be the post, um, the post mandates that we have to keep up with. That's the post-service side. In service. And as a lieutenant, obviously, you're, you're in charge of, you know, you're, you're in a position of rank over the sergeants. Is that right? That's correct. And, and those are usually the level, uh, they'd be, the trainers would largely be at the sergeant level. Is that right? Uh, mainly officers with some sergeants overseeing. As the lieutenant and the person in charge of, the, of, of, of this training, are you familiar with the curriculum uh, that is imparted upon both pre-service and in-service trainees? Yes, sir. You help develop the curriculum. Yes, sir. And you approve the curriculum. Yes, sir. The curriculum could include, uh, well, does include uh, just a general uh, booklet that's put together by the uh, defensive tactics instructors. Is that right? Yes, sir. And that booklet contains the general concepts uh, for use of force that are imparted on. What is this fucking guy doing? I swear to God, this delivery driver is a moron. That's correct. If I could show Exhibit 126. I'll be uh, back. I'm so fucking tired of these idiots. God damn. I'm showing you what's been marked for identification as Exhibit 126. It's labeled Minneapolis Police Department Use of Force Manual Academics and Techniques produced by the MPD Defensive Tactics Team. Are you familiar with this document and its predecessor documents? Yes, sir. Uh, does this document contain sort of the general uh, curriculum and knowledge that's uh, imparted upon MPD pre-service and in-service trainees? Yes, sir. Uh, offer Exhibit 126. Okay. 126 is received. And we won't publish that at this point. Um, and do you also uh, participate in and approve various classroom PowerPoint uh, training sessions that are imparted upon both uh, pre-service and in-service trainees. Yes, sir. And at this time, uh, just to the witness, I would like to show what's been marked for identification as Exhibit 119. Exhibit 119 is a slide deck uh, that's labeled uh, 2018 Defensive Tactics in-service. Is that right? Yes, sir. If you could show the witness the second page. And do you see your name uh, on the uh, slide deck listed at the top of the instructors? Yes, sir. Are you familiar with the contents of this uh, uh, particular PowerPoint presentation or slide deck? 
Yes, sir. Did you did you help uh, create it? Yes, sir. And you approved its uh, uh, use during the training. Is that right? That's correct. And it's listed as uh, fall of 2018. So this is what would have been provided for uh, in-service training. So uh, experienced uh, performing officers during this 2018 session. Correct. That's correct. And is the training that's provided, you know, you have uh, quite a few Minneapolis police officers who have to go through the training, right? Yes, sir. So they're not all taking it at the same time. That's correct. Uh, but if someone is uh, has completed the fall uh, 2018 in-service defensive tactics training, does that mean that they saw the slide deck? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll offer exhibit uh, 119. No objections. 119 is received. And we talked about uh, training records as well and sign-in sheets, and so I'd like to show the witness exhibit 124. Exhibit 124 uh, is labeled 2018 Annual In-Service Training Program Group B. Is that right? Yes, sir. And I see your name at the top as one of the instructors. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, this uh, is a sign-in sheet that would show uh, different officers who would sign in having taken the training? That's correct. Turn to page two. Do you see uh, the name Derek Chauvin on this uh, training roster? Yes, sir. Are you familiar with that name, Derek Chauvin? Yes, sir. Chauvin, I'm sorry. Derek Chauvin, do you uh, would you recognize uh, the Mr. Chauvin if you saw him in the courtroom today? Yes, sir. Uh, do you see him today? I do, sir. Would you please point to him and describe what he's wearing? Yes, sir. He's got a uh, dark blue tie, light blue shirt, and a gray jacket. May the record reflect the witness has identified the defendant. It will. Uh, go back to page one. And at this time, uh, I will offer uh, Exhibit 124. 124. 124 is received. Permission to publish 124. Right. If you could highlight the instructor block and title. Fucking shit. Right, again, you see that this is the 2018. <sighs> this, this training was provided in, uh, on October 1, okay. 2018. Is that right? Yes, sir. And you are listed yeah, got as it. one of the trainers. Don't ask him trying to go to one-way street. And if you could go to page And he went around twice. I don't know what he thought the fucking direction was going to change. And he was suddenly going to be able to drive the other way. And there you can see that the training was attended by the defendant. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Anyway, I got here. It's not too melting. You can take that down. I was so pissed I didn't even answer the door. I just let him leave it outside. That's how it was supposed to be anyway. How many times if I was a real bitch, I would change his tip, but I'm not going to do that. It's not really his fault, but goddamn. Is this a slide deck uh, that you identified as being the 2018 version fairly consistent with prior versions of uh, the use of force training you provided? Uh, the documentation, sir? Yes. Yes. 
So when you do use of force training, there are generally two components, right? There's a classroom component, and then there would be, you know, more of the tactical component. Uh, you know, it's not really his fault. Is that right? But That's man, right. it still pisses me and off. What the fuck? What we no, saw it's right here. The coffee's here. The, was the classroom component? I believe so. Okay. Um, well, what I'd like to do now is uh, ice blonde mate, two pumps of classic syrup. My favorite drink is Starbucks. And just like you've done uh, hundreds Don't of times around, before, you'll spill I have you explain uh, some of the s selected slides to the jury. All right? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Jeff TV, what's up, brother? Uh, please turn to page two, 119. Yeah, it's good, Nile. You should try it. See Their regular espresso sucks, but get the blonde espresso. It's really good. Training as one of the instructors, is that right? Yes, sir. And uh, turn to page four. What, espresso is not woman coffee? That's like Italian legend. What are you talking about? Page four of uh, the slide deck uh, contains a policy reference. Is that right? Yes, sir, it does. And you testified that you're familiar with the policies, the use of force policies. One of the objectives of training is to impart the policies, teach those policies to the attending officers. Yes, sir. And so uh, this is uh, from the Minnesota, I'm sorry, the Minneapolis uh, Policy Manual 5-301. Could you please uh, describe to the jury what this slide is intended to convey? Yes, sir, There's looks like there's three bullet points. Uh, the first one is sanctity of life and the protection of the public. Um, that is uh, the cornerstone of our use of force policies is the sanctity of life and the protection of the public. Uh, also, uh, clear and consistent force policies. We like our policies to be easily understood. And then the use of force standards do fall under the Fourth Amendment reasonableness standard. Since we're talking about use of force, uh, I'd like to turn to page seven of the exhibit, 119. When we, when we talk about use of force- 500 live, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Force. It's listed on this slide here. Um, intentional police contact involving any weapon, substance, vehicle, equipment, tool, device, or animal that inflicts pain or injury to another, physical strikes- uh, Lord Aragon, thank you, Mayor. Physical contact to the body that inflicts pain or injury. It's coffee or shop time. By demand or, or circumstance likely to produce injury. So you train officers that restraint is a form of force. Is that right? Yes, sir. And when applying force or applying restraint, uh, the restraint has to be reasonable, correct? Correct. And it has to be reasonable at the time it starts and the time it stops? Correct. You're familiar with the concept of proportionality. Peak Euro hours, that's yes. correct. Uh, if you could turn to the exhibit page eight. When you discuss uh, proportionality to trainees, uh, you use this uh, exhibit, is that right? Yes, sir. In, in general, without using the Peak Euro time, hours, that's explain true. Explain to the jury as you would uh, a group of trainees. What is proportional force? Well, you want to use the, the least amount of force necessary to, to meet your objectives, to control. And if those lower uses of force do not work, um, would not work, or are too unsafe to try, then you can increase your level of force against that. Person. Herbal cigarettes, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do not work, would not work, or unsafe to try. It sounds like you maybe have used that phrase a time or two. 
Yes, sir. Uh, is that a phrase that you've used in uh, pretty much every training that you've given on use of force? When there's a PowerPoint or we talk about use of force, we discuss proportionality regularly. Okay. And you said that uh, you want to use the least amount of force as necessary? Yeah. Yes, sir. Why is that? Uh, because if you can use the least amount of, a lower level of force to meet your objectives, uh, it's safer and better for everybody involved. And when we talk about proportionality, it's proportional to what? I'd say the level of resistance you're getting. And the level of resistance would be dependent upon who? Uh, the subject that you're using force upon. The specific subject? Yes, sir. All right. Um, at this time, I'm asked to uh, publish Exhibit 110. And this is uh, an item that's already been received into evidence. Do you recognize what's in Exhibit 110? Yes, sir. What is that? Well, it's technically, technically called the Defense and Control Res Response Training Guide, um, but a lot of people refer to this as a use of force continuum. Okay. And uh, when we were discussing the concept of proportionality, uh, mm -hmm. you talked about uh, subject behavior. Is that right? Yes, sir. Subject behavior is over here on the left-hand side, correct? That's correct. And the subject behavior can... Uh, vary from, uh, I guess, nothing, to passive resistance all the way to active aggression, correct? Yes, sir. And then in terms of proportionality, there's various tools that are available to a law enforcement officer based on the subject behavior, correct? That's correct. And some of these tools, if we can just take an example, with uh, active aggression, uh, one response could be what? Up to and including deadly force. But then for lower levels of uh, subject activity, such as passive resistance, right, that could include things like presence and verbalization. Right? That's correct. And is this something that you use with law enforcement officers you train to sort of graphically hey, I can't control the witnesses. Uh, the concept of proportionality? Uh, I'm not sure if we've used this specifically. is about to go in. Force, if this guy will ever we, shut up. We have used this in the past to, to describe like as levels of resistance increase that officers um, respond. Some days are going to be like this, though, you know? I mean. And, and similarly, as levels of resistance decrease, what should the officer do? Uh, you should de-escalate use of force as well. And that's actually listed on this uh, response and control guide, isn't it? Correct. If you would clear that, Your Honor. <clears throat> And you'd indicated that uh, you train officers that they should use the least amount of force uh, that is available or that's reasonable under the circumstances. Is that right? To meet the objectives, yes. And explain that. So you want to use the least amount of force to, if you're trying to control somebody, um, might be a lower level of force than if you're trying to get them in handcuffs and they're fighting. So you want to use the lowest level of force possible uh, in order to meet those objectives. Uh, and lower levels of force, right, I'll the rest uh, of that fair to for a say, bit. using force, um, people can get hurt. Yes, sir. The subject can get hurt. The officer can get hurt. Yes, sir. Is that one of the reasons why it's better to use a lesser amount of force? Yes, sir. Uh, and another reason is that it's required. Is that right? Yes, sir. If you could go back to Exhibit 119 and publish page 12. <clears throat> 
And you you train this to officers is back to your training materials. Yeah, what if Bank Alaska just yes. ran in the courtroom right Minnesota, now? Minnesota uh, statutes provide, and this is integrated into the MPD <laughs> in policy. Uh, the concept of minimum restraint. Is that right? Oh, that's correct. Thank you, guys. And I got I a couple you, more super chats to read. Give me one sec. Highlight the first section. You know what? Fuck that. I'm just going to read I'm it. I'm sorry. The second We don't need to hear this shit. Uh, Polina <laughs> White Strike says If your delivery drivers are anything like in my city, they're all baked. Grocery, Uber Eats, DoorDash. Speaking of baked. Every time those dudes' cars smell like mad weed, that's why they drive like that. LMO. Um, yeah, I don't know. I felt bad as an older guy. I shouldn't have got that upset. Like, I didn't actually yell at him. I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? I sent in a text message. Because he went around twice, and it's still one way. You're not going to be able to. You can't just go around again and thinking it's going gonna, gonna to change. You'd have to go further around if he knew what he was doing, which he did not. Uh, Brian says, for your inner cheapness. <laughs> he gave me another 20. Thank you, sir. <laughs> for your inner cheapness. Love the courtroom drama. OJ, Jody Arias, Jody Arias, Casey Anthony, now this. Keep this going. Enjoy the coffee, Ralph. Thank you so much. Uh, and I love the shit, too. I live for the shit. Familiar with the circumstances that bring you here today. Is that right? Yes, sir. And I need to show you a photo that's been received into evidence. And it's uh, Exhibit 17. I'd like to publish that. The bailiff would tackle him, yeah. If you hope it just ran there with the content spray. Exhibit 17, and you see the defendant. Shout out uh, to the Euros. On top of a subject that you know to be George Floyd. Is that right? Yes, sir. Is this a use of force? Yes, sir. If you could take that down, please. I want you to discuss, uh, in terms of using force and using it safely, what you teach uh, your trainees about sort of the, the frailty of the human body. Uh, it's important to be careful uh, with people. Is that right? Oh, yes. It's very, very important to be careful. And there's some uh, parts of the body that are more prone to injury than others, correct? That's correct. And you train on that. Is that right? Yes, sir. If we could uh, display Exhibit 119, page 49. Now, this is from strike training. Somebody in their chat said reinstate Derek and make him chief of police. Describing what some of the more sensitive parts of the human body are as you train <laughs> Minneapolis police officers. Mm. Um, related to strikes, yes. Going to be related to other types of restraint as well. Uh, I think you could stretch that some. Um, I, I don't know exactly how to What's the question exactly again? I'm sorry. Is it fair to say that the areas that are marked in red, the red zones, are more prone to good, injury though. than other parts of the body? That could be serious. Yes. So, for example, the neck. Yes. And the head. Correct. Uh, and, and the sternum of the chest. Is that right? Yes, sir. And this wouldn't just pertain to strikes. It could also pertain to pressure, couldn't it? Uh, yes. Is that something you probably knew before you even did any use of force training? Yes, sir. Well, I'd like you to then uh, discuss with the jury the concept of neck restraints. And uh, if we could publish it, page 52 of the exhibit. I do wonder if Chauvin's going to testify. Lord Aragon 2020. And looking at the time period uh, 
that you were doing this training, uh, neck restraints were authorized by MPD policy, correct? Yes, sir. Can you please describe the training that you provided to Minneapolis police officer regarding the use of neck restraints? Yes, sir. We uh, we'd go over the techniques, uh, definitions of, te of neck restraints, and we'd uh, go through different reps of the neck restraint to, to get the officers comfortable in doing it. Could you just give the jury an overview of what a neck restraint is? Yes, sir. So neck restraint is constricting the sides of a person's neck, uh, and they refer to it as a vascular neck restraint. So you're slowing the blood flow to and from the brain with the intent to gain control of a subject. I like that, and Wolfgang. There are two different types of neck restraints uh, in the MPD policy. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And those are what? The two levels are uh, conscious neck restraint. So that means you've wrapped somebody up and they're still conscious. Uh, and you can gain compliance with many people with that. And then there's unconscious, and that's applying pressure until the person, when they're not complying, you, you put enough pressure that they become unconscious and then therefore comply. How does one actually apply a neck restraint? We teach a couple of different techniques, but the basic idea is you use your elbow as a landmark and you place your arm across. So your bicep would be on one side of the neck and your arm would be on the forearm of the other side of the neck. And then there's a couple of different hand placements, but then you apply pressure with head pressure on both sides of the neck uh, to gain compliance. And you you were demonstrating were you using a, you were using your arm to do that. Is That's that, correct. And it also be done with a leg. It can be done with the leg. Does MPD train on how to do it with a leg? We may show um, the younger officers in the academy what that looks like, but we don't train uh, leg neck restraints with the officers in service. We, and as far as my knowledge, we never have. How, how would a trained neck restraint work? Uh, I'm sorry, how would a trained uh, leg neck restraint work? People that watch MMA, so professional fighters, they call it a uh, triangle choke, and I use that term choke loosely, that's just what it's called. But that's when you place your, uh, your leg over somebody's back, cross their side of their neck, and then you trap their arm in, so the person ends up having one arm in, and their arm causes pressure on one side and the leg causes pressure on the second and you can actually uh, render somebody unconscious if you hold that long enough. The, uh, uh, what part of the leg? Uh, usually it's the inner thigh. Inner thigh. So in, in this scenario, using a leg to do a neck restraint, would the, would the knee sort of replace the elbow in terms of placement? Or how would you describe it? Um, I, would, I would say the knee doesn't really replace the elbow. Um, your thigh would be across the side of somebody's neck, your leg across their back, um, and you protect the airway really with the space that's created with their arm being pinned in there. If you could uh, uh, please display the next page, page 53. Um, use of neck restraints. Uh, can you describe, in using this, those concepts of proportionality, when it's authorized uh, to use a neck restraint of the two different varieties? Yes, sir. On, on subjects who are actively aggressive, which means assaultive, they're actively resisting and other techniques haven't worked, you can use it then. Um, and then on the bottom it says no, oh. you, you can't use it against subjects who are passively resistant. And if you could go to the next slide, uh, page You mean like Floyd was before? When he was resisting everybody and okay. after a neck restraint is applied to Orgoth, what's up man thank you you train that have to be followed is that right that's correct for the care of the individual upon whom the neck restraint was applied yes sir
And if we could uh, publish uh, Exhibit 110 again, and bringing this specific topic back to the concept of proportionality, could you enlarge this, please? Yeah, Jeff, I don't really give a fuck about that, honestly. <clears throat> Uh, but I do think, like, if something? weed becomes, like, your whole personality and shit, that's weird. Like, I don't know. I guess I do. You can, the whole people who can the ones, touch the screen. I used to be like that kind of when I was younger. Uh, unconscious it's neck just restraint. Dumb, though. An unconscious neck restraint is when the person would actually be rendered unconscious, correct? That's correct. And intentionally so. Yes, sir. Could you please underline uh, unconscious neck restraint as you see it in this uh, response and control guide? Yes, sir. And what subject uh, activity, what level of subject activity would be required to use an unconscious neck restraint? Well, according to this chart, it's in the red area. Hard R. Binks, which is a hilarious name, says they keep talking about until that? resistance stops, but yeah. Floyd was literally and, resisting until he went unconscious. The last slide, we talked about active resistance if other techniques didn't work, but definitely in um, active aggression is where it's placed. If we look then, uh, you can also find a conscious neck restraint, and that's the neck restraint that's used for the purpose of control, correct? Correct. Could you underline uh, where that is in this uh, force continuum, Exhibit 110? And uh, so the conscious neck restraint is authorized in circumstances where there's, in fact, active resistance. Is that right? Yes, sir. So then if there was uh, something like passive resistance, right, the conscious, neither the conscious neck restraint nor the unconscious neck restraint would be authorized. Is that right? Would not be authorized? Would not be authorized. That is correct. And uh, an unconscious neck restraint would not even be authorized for some forms of active resistance, would it? Uh, that's correct. And uh, if the subject is offering no resistance, obviously, then no neck restraint would be authorized. That's correct. Or any restraint. God, will this guy any, fucking get Nelson out here? Shut up. No. Yeah, generally, no. Okay. In addition to the... Um, Can we get the black prosecutor out here again? I know he's not much more exciting, but Jesus. Teach officers, show them physically how to do these sort of neck restraints? Yes, sir. Uh, at this time, I'd like to republish Exhibit 17. Sir, is this an MPD-trained neck restraint? Cooper said every no, show sir. needs an opener. Yeah, I guess. Has it ever been? You know what's going to happen. Neck restraint? No. You know what's going to happen is they're going to take a break, and then we'll have to wait. Oh, fuck. Is this an MPD-authorized uh, restraint technique? Uh, knee on the neck would be something that does happen in use of force that isn't unauthorized. And under what circumstances? It isn't would that unauthorized. Be How long can you do that? I don't know if there's a time frame. It would depend on the circumstance of the time. Which would include what? The type of resistance you're getting from the subject that you're putting the knee on. And so if there was, uh, say for example, uh, the subject was under control and handcuffed, would this be authorized? I would say no. If you could take that down. He didn't look like he was happy to say that, though. You know, like all these other motherfuckers, he may, maybe they made him too, I don't know. But like all these other people uh, look lethal. This, uh, defensive tactics presentation, uh, if you could go back to exhibit 119, page 56. 
you also uh, teach officers the proper. He seems a little sad to be uh, testifying here. Techniques, is that right? Yes, sir. And, and according to the handcuffing techniques, the handcuff they're to be handcuffed behind the back, and the handcuff is to be double locked. Maybe I'm imagining that, but sure. Oh, a little sidebar action. Okay, well, we were having a little mini weed debate in the chat earlier. Looks like that's still going on over on Trovo. Shout out to the Restream Gang Gang. Got a pretty good number over there. About uh, about five fifty total. Building up, building up as we head into the lunchtime hour here on the East Coast. It is almost eleven a.m. there in Minneapolis, where this trial is taking place. Forget what they call their what the Justice Center there. I don't know some shit. They got it fortified like the fucking Green Zone in Iraq. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't have the same uh, security failures as that place. But uh, let's see, Chauvin would look Chad with, Chad with a shaved head. He looks like he's going through a bad divorce. We're, just, we're gonna hair take right our now. morning break. Ah! Uh, let's reconvene at eleven fifteen. Thank you, Lieutenant. You can uh, ah. So eleven fifteen is twenty minutes from now. Okay, we'll see if they actually make it back at 11.15. I like that he called out the number. Today is my Saturday, Will Heron said. Let me throw out the call-in link. Oh, this is the part where I have to do something. Okay, let's see. I see one step's there. Uh, Down center on me and Moss Chong's there. Let me throw out the link again. Here goes the... uh, here goes the call-in link. It'll throw you right in the room there. Let me also, I haven't listened to this yet, but somebody sent me some music for the show, and I haven't heard it yet. Should we listen to it live on air? I think we probably should. Why not? What's stopping us? Absolutely nothing is stopping us from doing that. Okay, let's see. Oh, Okay. Let's see here. Let's give it a little tester. All right. A court retort original. Is this Chauvin's theme? Is that what we're going to call this? I think that's what we're going to call this. Chubb's name. It's Chubb's intro music, yes. This is the new intro. I'm going to play it for the outro today, too, but maybe I'll play it for both. I don't know. It's definitely great as an intro. I think it kind of works for both, though, doesn't it? Chauvinist. Need for speed. 
this is custom. I have to ask if he wants his name out there. Weeds decriminalized where I live, snitch. So come and take it, bitch. They're really close to legalizing it all the way up here, by the way, too. Basically, they don't fuck with weed here. I was smoking weed while I was on probation, bitch. I smoke weed every day. I can never tell. Sometimes you get the people who are really trying to like just be, you know, patrolish or whatever. Then you have the people who just really want to. I can't tell the difference. So I just berate them all. <laughs> I love this. This is jamming. Yeah, this gets the this gets the pass. I'll save the last minute because I'm gonna play it again at the end of the show. So I'll save the last minute. All right, one step. What's up, man? Can you hear me? One step. Oh man. Yeah, I think it fits the show great. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you, man. I got you. What's up, man? You only find a man. I mean, you would think after a thousand calls in the show, you would know how it works, but I'm just fucking. I, I, that's what I'm saying is, my, is I'm on these shitty earbuds, so it's it's kind of. I'm messing kind of with the Lord Aragon 2020 with the militant milkshake. All right, go ahead, sir. Hey, hey man, I don't want to waste your time. My shit's all fucked up, but I, I might call him later. Thanks. Sorry about that. Wow, what just happened? Wow, we could hear him. Was he offended by my light jabs at, about his uh, audio? I don't know. Who cares? All right. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. What's up? Yo, what I miss? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I wasn't here like. Tell one step to call back in. We can still hear you. What is his deal? All right. Who, me? Who but yeah. Uh, we can always hear I don't I was busy on Saturday because I work on Saturday, and from one day I was too lazy. So, yeah, what happened there those two days? What, you want me to, like, update you on the last two days of events? Or? Yeah, of the, of the whole, uh, what's it called? The, the yeah, the court thing. Um, So the Chief, you know what, we could play some of that. I played it last night on the kill stream, uh, but I feel like uh, maybe we should play a little bit more of it here, too. Um, the Chief uh, admitting that the knee was on the shoulder um, okay. at one point, I think, was a big deal. Um. I'm trying to think. Let me go back through. What are, what are some of the other big moments, chat? Uh, I think yesterday the <clears throat> the doctor admitting that the epoxia or hypoxia could have happened because of fentanyl uh, was a, was a big deal as well. Um, let's see. I'm going through here. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other big moments. Uh, let's see. That was was that three days ago where the woman testified. I think you would have seen that where his girlfriend testified. Uh, go ahead, uh, go ahead, chat. What do you think? about some other big moments. Uh, 
Okay, I'm going to look through there. I'll look through there in a minute. But I would say those are two of the bigger things that's happened uh, in the last couple of days. And I did mention earlier that Core TV, um, they they started the show. I saw Vinnie Paulton on there was um, like really complimentary uh, of um, Nelson for getting that reveal from the from the, from the police chief. Basically, he started off his segment last night, and he's like, for over a year, you know, we thought it was knee on the neck, nine minutes, 29 seconds, over a year, over a year, over a year. Now, all of a sudden, oh, it's, oh, his knee was on his back at a certain point. He was saying for him that that kind of, like, threw the whole narrative for a loop, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt about it yesterday while I was watching it live. Now, are we just, you know – kind of wanting that to be the case, you know what I mean? And, and hoping that's going to change things or, or, you know, looking for some drama. I don't think so. Like when I heard that, I was like, wow, that kind of, that doesn't mean he's going to get acquitted by the way. Uh, but I thought that that was kind of revelatory where now it's like, we don't really know what we saw on that tape because when you saw it from the other angle, it looked completely different. So now you're like, well, you know, and, and the way he's already built the case, um, that these bystanders uh, basically uh, were so dangerous, so unruly, that they actually contributed to the death of George Floyd, and they didn't let the police do their jobs. Uh, whereas if it had been a polite scene and they'd have been chill, um, you know, maybe George Floyd would have got the attention that he needed. Yeah. Um, so I think Nelson, and again, we, you know, it's still... It's still uphill for this guy. Let's not get it twisted. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, but I think he's been... Uh, you know, exemplary. Um, I will. I will echo. I do think that they were right, though. I saw this one guy, and he's just like the, one of the hard and wide wise asses on there. And uh, he his one criticism of Nelson was that he just let um, he just let the the fucking police chief talk so much during during the first um, when they first called him, the prosecution first examined him, and he did really talk a lot about some shit that had nothing to do with the case. Um, where, where Nelson probably should have objected a little bit more to that. Like, what the fuck? What is this guy talking about? Our ethics values and all this shit in the police force. None of that shit has anything to do with the case, uh, and could have easily been stopped. Um, so I, I do agree with some of that. Um, there was another uh, thing the other day, uh, where the, I guess the police, I think that was yesterday too, where the police chief pointed out Chauvin. He yeah. pointed him out, uh, and another defense attorney on the panel said, if I was Nelson, I would have you know, finally objected to the judge at one point. They've done that two or three times, by the way. That's not the first time they had somebody point out Chauvin. Uh, at a certain point, and I've seen this in other trials, uh, where you can stipulate, okay, can we just stipulate for the record that this is Derek Chauvin sitting here? You know, We don't have to have every motherfucker point this out. Um, and then maybe he could have nipped that in the bud a little bit there too. Um, I thought those were fair criticisms actually. Um, uh, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. I thought this guy's been gangbusters. He's like a one man wrecking crew. Uh, in so that's basically what happened during the last two session. Say what? Well, like, those are the, two, the, I would say those are the two main things. I mean, if you want to know the whole thing, I would, I would advise. I'll watch it. And, yeah. Know, but also, uh, how's the shirt sung so far? Uh, the shirts, I'm glad you mentioned the shirts. They're selling very well, uh, and they're only going to be up until 9 p.m. Eastern, though. I mean, the thing is, like, no, thought uh, Gator drew him, not me. Oh, did Gator actually draw that? No, 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 thought Josh. Oh, I thought you were telling me that. I thought you just told me that. I was like, what? Gator fucking drew that? Holy shit, he should have told me. Um, but, no, nah, yeah, as far as I know, you drew that. Unless there's some secret 
message I don't know about, but yeah, I'm, I was pretty sure you drew that. It's fucking yeah, badass. By the way, send me. Uh, I gotta send you one but, too. Send me your address. So, um, my what? My uh, just email, email me or, or something. Yeah, email me or something because I'll get you one. I might get me one too. I was talking about getting me one. Uh, uh, I don't know. Just, just, you just send me like a Steam gift card. Okay, I could do that too. All right, we could do that. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you for calling in. You got anything else on the trial? Which way do you think it's going to go? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I think it's... I'm hoping... Like, what's that guy name again? Derek Chauvin. I hope yep. he wins. All right. All right, well, thank you for calling in. Also, email me about that so I don't forget. Um, okay, no problem. All right, I, wanna just, well, I don't want to email, but I'll, I'll send you my email on just- Patreon. Yeah, you can do that. You can send it on Patreon. That's fine too. You can message. Just message me wherever, so I'll rem- so I'll see it. That's what I'm saying. Because if not, I'll probably All right. All right, man. See ya. Thank you, dude. All right, let's see. Oh, mustache. How you doing, sir? Mustache. Mustachioed gentleman. How you doing? Oh, I'm not bad. Oh, I'm not bad there. How are you doing there, fellow? I'm doing pretty good. By the way, we do have a clip to play uh, here of Morris Hall uh, in court today. We didn't see that. I guess that might have been real. Your Honor, it would be. Uh, so we'll talk about this in a minute. But what do you, what do you think, uh, Mustachioed, sir? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, you know, just uh, out here living. Thank God I can work another day on other folks right now. But you said something a second ago, and it made me sing a little, a little ditty in my head. I figured I'd share it with you, then I'll dip on out. It goes a little something like this. It's topical, all right? It, it's uh, my neck, my back. I'm dead because I smoke crack. That's right. Thank you, sir. That was a hell of a ditty. There. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know. It's uh, the neck and the back thing. You know what I'm saying? Where was my the neck, knee? Who my knows? back. Now, you know what? You know what's so funny is I think it was his girlfriend the other day when, when she goes, it was for my neck and his back or one of them. I don't know. It was, it was either for his neck and my back or my neck and his back. And then all I could think of was the scene from Friday when the crackhead falls down in the store and he goes, my neck, my back, my neck and my back when he's trying to like, when he's trying to get a settlement out of the motherfucker. That's all I could think about. And I didn't say it on air, but that's what I was thinking in my head for like five minutes straight. My neck, my back. Anyway, thank you. That was probably the funniest fucking impression I've ever heard you do. Uh, my neck, my back. Oh my god, dude! I swear I should have said it the other day on the air, because that's what I was thinking about. Chaos accolade? Were you literally thinking that? I swear to God, that's all I could think about was the fucking crackhead from Friday when he falls in the store, and they're like, "Get up, motherfucker!" And he's, "I'm suing for ten thousand dollars." Yeah, yeah, that's the part of it. All right, now this, Your is, would be- this is more Morris Hall or Maurice Hall, whatever the drug dealer who was selling the speedball pills. Uh, who all of a sudden doesn't want to testify after Floyd's girlfriend was talking about him selling dope and shit. And he's facing four felonies. Uh, one of them is for choking his pregnant girlfriend, I think, uh, and some other assorted uh, things. He And they were, there was an order of protection against him, ordering him not to hang out with her, and they got pulled over, and she was in the back seat with him. And um, he was also driving on suspended license. So, in addition to the crimes against her as well. So, I mean, not good. Uh, the defense intend to uh, inquire of Mr. Hall as to the following. Um, certainly, uh, any events leading up to their 
Mr. Hall and Mr. Floyd's arrival at Cup Foods earlier in the day where they were, what they were doing. Um, Mr. Hall's interactions with Mr. Floyd in the Cup Foods, including whether either party gave the other uh, a counterfeit bill, um, whether or not Mr. Hall gave, sold, or otherwise provided Mr. Floyd with controlled substances, um, specifically whether uh, Mr. Floyd, his behavior in the car, Mr. Hall previously described that Mr. Floyd had, was falling asleep, that it was sudden. I would ask him questions about um, Mr. Hall's previous... By the way, they're, they're going over what they would ask this guy. The judge hasn't said whether he's going to testify or not. He's claimed he's going to take his Fifth Amendment... Uh, right, not to testify anyway. So he only, he doesn't say anything in this hearing except his name, basically, and like yes or no to a question. Statements to law enforcement that uh, that Mr. Floyd had indicated he did not intend to, uh, or that he was planning on taking these pills later I when they got home, implying that Mr. Floyd took them before they left. Um, Mr. Hall described seeing Mr. Floyd go for the ignition when the police arrived, so his behaviors in the car at the time police arrived. Um, Mr. Hall, uh, I would intend to ask him about giving false names to police Lord officers God, thank you, after sir. Uh, they were intervened, after Medical the police booster. intervened. Uh, Mr. Hall is seen on a security camera uh, taking something out of his backpack and throwing it. Um, I would ask him about those and what it was that he threw. And I would also ask Mr. Hall about um, his decision to leave Minnesota immediately after this incident and his sub subsequent apprehension by the Texas Rangers. Well, let me uh, focus on a couple things. I think you would agree that any questions that he answers about the counterfeit bill falls within his could incriminate him. Would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, also, the false information he gave to the police, he would have a legitimate invocation of his Fifth Amendment rights there as well. Yes. And what he took out of the backpack, that that's a legitimate Fifth Amendment privilege to invoke there. Yes. Uh, flight as a as circumstantial evidence of guilt you would agree that is fleeing to texas if you went into motives as opposed to simply traveling to texas that that could be considered uh incriminating would you agree with that yes uh use and possession of drugs by both of them during that day uh that could incriminate him based on uh counsel's representation would you agree with that yes it seems like just about everything that you want to ask him, except the following. He would have a legitimate right to uh, invoke his Fifth Amendment rights against compelled self-incrimination. And that being how George Floyd appeared when he was back in the car and the falling asleep suddenly. Would you? Well, I mean, I, the, the and I'm sure counsel is going to say that that's incriminating. Yeah. Um, but I. I I do not believe that that in and of itself incriminates Mr. Hall in terms of a description of Mr. Floyd falling asleep, but the implication being that because fentanyl was, was found in Mr. Floyd's system that, and it causes a person to fall asleep, that that would be um, ostensibly connected to ingestion of controlled substances. So, I mean, remotely perhaps, I would argue, but not in and of itself. All right. Cousins, would you? Uh... 
And unfortunately, you don't have the benefit of having supposed to be back in one minute, the by the way. We'll but see. Uh, it appears that this would be a proper invocation of his Fifth Amendment rights for just about everything Mr. Nelson was talking about. The one exception appears to be his observations sitting in the passenger seat of the car as how Mr. Floyd appeared, that he was falling asleep and that it happened suddenly. Very narrow. And the reason why I'm, I say that is because we have kind of a parallel uh, testimony from a clerk in the store who said Mr. Floyd appeared good-natured, uh, seemed to be having a good day, but he did appear to be high. Um, I don't even think I'd allow counsel to ask whether he appeared high, because uh, that could form some kind of opinion and uh, infer a basis that he knew why he was under the influence. But it seems to me that just his description, Mr. Hall's description of, like the store clerk, is not going to incriminate him if there's no uh, questioning about how he, how he had, uh, why he fell asleep, why he thinks he fell asleep, that there were drugs in the car, that he knew there were drugs in the car, that there was any possession by Mr. Floyd of drugs uh, that day that he saw. If we totally avoid the word drugs and just to have Mr. Hall say, I was the passenger in the car, which is already clear. There's video and evidence just for your case, man. Uh, Thank you, brother. That Mr. Hall is in the passenger seat and is removed by the police. Uh, beyond that, if that were established that he was the passenger when the police came up to the car, what was Mr. Floyd's condition immediately that he observed immediately before that? Would you agree that that's not incriminating if we keep all the mention of drugs or why or anything like that? No, Your Honor, I do not agree. That How that was that when it did not incriminate the clerk who said? By the way, I would agree with her too. I don't think that that's not incriminating either. <laughs> How would it? <laughs> what be? do you mean? He's going to talk about his close vicinity to all these drugs on the record and uh, fuck no, I wouldn't let him do that either. That Mr. Fuck? Hall saying that would incriminate him. Well, because first of all, Judge, the inquiry is not what evidence is in front of the jury. What testimony have they heard? All right, we're back. We're back in the live courtroom. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, sir, when we left off, you were looking at uh, Exhibit 119. Page Case man, thank you again, brother. Starting to dis discuss With the big DJ sticker. Handcuffing. Could you please explain to the to the jury how you train? Uh, police officers in handcuffing techniques in the in the use of force. Yes, sir. Well, we we see we teach several different positional handcuffing um, techniques, uh, as well as how to approach people when they're going to be handcuffed, um, and then once you make contact with the person, how to properly place the cuffs and procedures after. How do you properly place the cuffs? Well, you one cuff at a time, and then. Uh, once they're on and everything's uh, under control and code four, as we call it, things have calmed down to the point where you have control of the subject. Uh, you want to make sure that you check the fit of the cuffs and double lock them for their safety. They tend to, behind your back, if you sit down, they tend to uh, tighten up on a person. So we want to be, be mindful of the, of the fit of the handcuffs. And the double locking prevents the further tightening of the handcuffs? Yes, sir. The double lock is just a little button that you use your cuff key to push, and it, it, it prevents the cuffs from either coming undone or going in. And uh, there's several different positions that an officer can be in when they're handcuffing a suspect. Is that right? The, the I'm sorry. Can you the officer can be in many different positions relative to the subject when they're handcuffing them. Absolutely, right? very dynamic. Yes, sir. Standing, 
Yes, sir. Prone? Yes, sir. Right. And I'd like you to please describe for the jury what uh, techniques are used to prone handcuff. 570, uh, watching this live. Uh, with, the, with prone handcuff, we want to make sure that we isolate an arm. And a lot of times we teach the officers to, to use a knee to control their shoulder. Um, generally, you put one knee on each side of the arm, so one would be on the upper shoulder, one about the middle of the back, excuse me, uh, and then isolate that arm, present the, the wrist for cuffing, and then handcuff. And a lot of times when you're doing the prone cuffing, uh, you, you do that with a partner preferably. It makes it a lot easier to, to control a person. And if someone is handcuffed and you're, you're using your knee on their back or shoulder mm -hmm. to gain control, um, do you do you leave it there uh, for an extended period of time? It depends on the circumstance. Um, you can leave it there for a longer period of time, depending on the resistance you get. And and what would signal uh, to you as a trainer when you're supposed to release your knee? When uh, their behavior de-escalates their resistance relative to the handcuffing. That's correct, sir. Yes. Yep. Compliance. No. So once you've accomplished the handcuffing, once the subject's actually been handcuffed, is that the appropriate time to release your leg? Not necessarily. Why? Uh, when people are handcuffed in the prone position, they can uh, thrash around, um, writhe around, and they, can, they do present a little bit of a threat. They can kick, bite, some other things. So um, control doesn't end with handcuffing always. Mm -hmm. If the subject is resisting, correct? That's correct. Um, the mere possibility that it's potential that a subject could uh, resist like that kicking, is that justification to leave your leg in place? Uh, no, sir. I would, I would say you need behavior that would lead you to leave your knee there. So once the subject is handcuffed and compliant or not resisting, is the officer to remove their knee? That would be an appropriate time. And... Uh, how long then is the person, the subject, to be left in the prone handcuff position once they're compliant? Uh, it depends on the circumstances that you're involved in with this person and the, and the surrounding environment. So assume the circumstances that I just stated. The subject is prone, handcuffed. Shout out to Max. I'll read that in no just a second, brother. I think it was reasonably necessary of the time to do it. Awesome message, though. I appreciate um, that. Get them in a different position. What position is that? It depends on uh, circumstances, but uh, you can put them in the recovery position on their side. You can sit them up. You can stand them up. And why would you want to put them into a different position? There is the possibility and risk that... Um, that some people have difficulty breathing when the handcuffs are behind their back and they're on the stomach. And what is that known as? Uh, so I'm sorry, rephrase. Are you familiar with the phrase positional asphyxia? Oh, yes, sir. Is that uh, the danger you would be trying to avoid by putting someone in the side recovery position? That is one of the dangers you're trying to prevent. Avoid. Yeah. Marshall Max says, "Cheers, Ralph. I'm doing hearing prep, drafting, and e-filing documents. Boring as shit. And the court retort is the, the only thing keeping me awake. Hashtag free Chauvin. Why Thank would you, you sir. Roll someone I love comments like that. Recovery position. It's even better because you're actually a lawyer. <laughs> are compliant. That's what we're here for. Uh, several reasons are Help there. Help you power but, through uh, the day to prevent a potential situation where they might be subject to positional asphyxiation." And how soon is a subject to be placed into the side recovery position after they become compliant and no longer resistant? 
uh, when it's when the scene is code four. And oh, you guys noticed that too. I see Ray's in the chat in says, I think you're right. This guy doesn't want to throw him under the bus too too bad. Bet they use all sorts use all sorts to get people to testify for them, yeah. He yeah. seems to be kind of somber about what he's doing here, yeah. Yeah. Testified that there are circumstances uh, in which the subject can offer further resistance even though they're handcuffed. Is that right? Yes, sir. I'd like to direct your attention to uh, page 58 of Exhibit 219. This uh, slide discusses the maximal restraint technique. Is that right? That's correct. Is there another? Is there a particular device that's used to accomplish the maximal restraint technique? Yes, sir. It's the rip uh, restraint or the rip hobble. Okay. Can you please describe the maximal restraint technique to the jury? Yes, sir. If you have a subject that is uh, handcuffed behind their back, generally, um, and that's the way we like to handcuff people, uh, and they continue to uh, cause a threat to you or other people or themselves, we we have taught our officers to use the maximal restraint technique, which is taking this rip restraint, which is a, a nylon strap with a clamp on it, and you would wrap that around their legs and then connect it to the front of the body if, if possible, like, the, like a belt looper or a Somebody second. Somebody said Trobo was blocked at their work? What the fuck? And what that does is it bends their legs so that their legs are no longer a threat to kick out at you. Kind of put their, their legs at about a 90-degree angle so they're not able to extend the legs out to kick you if they are a threat. Are you aware that the uh, use of the maximal restraint technique is guided uh, and governed by MPD policy? Yes, sir, it is. And that's 5-316? That's correct. Uh, is there more than one device that's authorized uh, to perform the maximal restraint technique? I believe it right now it's just the the rip or the rip uh, hobble is the one we use. Put pants in the maximal and so restraint. If uh, an officer <laughs> that reasonably like believes that a uh, subject is thrashing, would you recommend that they use this maximal restraint technique to? to uh, ensure their safety. Yes, sir. And if they do so in accordance with MPD policy 5-316 in your training, what does the officer need to do after the subject has been placed in the MRT and is prone? Uh, re or place them in the recovery position. How soon? As soon as possible. Why? Uh, because when you further restrict their ability to move, it can further restrict their ability to breathe. Now, uh, in terms of uh, the appropriateness of force, is, is it, would you agree with the proposition that force must be reasonable when it's applied? Yes, sir. And uh, would you also agree that uh, circumstances can change? Right? Subject behavior can change? Yes, sir. Right? The environment can change? Yes, sir. And uh, are you familiar with the uh, uh, Minneapolis MPD critical thinking model? The critical decision-making model? Yes. Yes, sir. And that's, uh, you know, kind of a graphic that... I haven't asked the question yet. Hard not to be leading with that. Let's, let's try and rephrase this. Is the critical thinking model a graphical representation of a different concept? 
I'm, I don't know if I understand the question, sir. Are you familiar with the concept of reassessment? Of reassessment? Absolutely. Right. Can you describe reassessment to the jury? Uh, yes, sir. Through the, the critical decision-making model, we've put basically a template together for officers to look at and to understand their thinking processes. And reevaluation is when you're you're looking at circumstances that you're involved in, uh, and you're constantly looking for factors to change so you uh, can change your behavior. And uh, is reassessment something that you've been teaching even before the advent of this model? Oh yes, it's paramount to use of force. And so. Uh, there can be a time, a point in time, when a particular type of force is reasonable, but as time passes, circumstances can change? Yes, sir. And then that force would no longer be reasonable? That's correct. And if that's the case, what is the officer to do? They're to change their force. Thank you, Your Honor. I have nothing further. Mr. Nelson. Yes! I may have just a moment, Your Honor. Just a moment, Your Honor. I must go peruse my notes. By the way, the music, Rock Savage DJ, that's the guy who did that. He also said he could lay down some vocals, but I don't even know. I'm not sure what we would put down on that. We'll play it again. Good morning, sir. We Good morning. I'll check the time. Thank you for being with us today. We still got um, over an hour a left. Follow up so questions uh, regarding the training the Minneapolis Police Department provides. Um, you testified that one of your specialties, or I believe that you uh, talked about how you developed the ground defense program. Uh, I was one of the, the people that founded it, yes. Okay. Can you just describe generally what is the ground defense program? It's using uh, techniques other than strikes to control individuals. I mean, that's the broad term. And essentially that was a, a program that was introduced some 10, 15 years ago to the MPD? I believe it's 10 years now. Okay. And that's using uh, different like, moves or different um, uh, body control methods versus punching or striking an individual, right? That's correct. And that was um, a program, again, that you helped develop and found, and you continued to train throughout the Minneapolis Police Department during your uh, time as a, in the training division, right? That's correct, sir. And it's fair to say that um, when you train a police officer, you're training them in particular moves that will help improve their ability to gain compliance of a subject, right? That's the goal, yes, sir. But certainly there is no strict application of every single rule, agreed, or every single technique. That is correct. Officers. Objection. Which Objection is sustained. Compound question. Rephrase. Sure. Answers are stricken. There is no strict application of every technique that an officer is trained, is there? No. Officers are trained to be fluid, correct? Yes, sir. And sometimes officers have to do things that um, are unattractive to other people. Correct. In terms of the use of force. Yes, sir. 
and an officer, um, you would agree that being a police officer is a relatively dangerous job? Yes, sir. You yourself, in the course of your career, have oh, had to didn't stutter use that force like against suspects? Yes, sir. You've arrested many people, I presume? Yes, sir. And would you agree that sometimes people aren't particularly happy about being arrested? <laughs> Very rarely, sir. And sometimes they <laughs> fight with you? Yes, sir. And sometimes they argue with you? Yes, sir. Sometimes they make excuses? Yes, sir. And ultimately, one of the things that a police officer has to do is try to determine, is this person pretending or trying to give me some excuse not to get arrested, or is this person experiencing some other crisis, right? Yes. Right? And ultimately, in terms of an arrest, that's one of the things that an officer has to ascertain, right? Yes, sir. And um, again, when you've arrested people, have you had people um, plead with you not to arrest them? Yes, sir. Have you had people um, say they were having a medical emergency? Yes, sir. Sherry D. Would you have you had people say I can't breathe? Very kind. Yes, sir. And wow, do you were there circumstances during the course of your career as a patrol officer um, where you didn't believe that that person? was having a medical emergency. Yes, sir. And that's all part of the analysis in terms of the use of force, right? This guy's a part, yes, sir. And so if this someone comes to you and says, witness, isn't he? You, if you tell someone I'm under arrest, Listen, Nelson, go. one way that a person can resist arrest is through the use of their words, agreed? Yes, sir. And that's a form of what you would call passive resistance? Uh, depending on the types of words that are used. Right. So words could be both passive or active resistance, right? I would say yes. Right. So the difference between um, I'm having a heart attack versus screw you, you know, you're not going to take me. Damn, oh, yeah. dude. Yes. So that's what you mean He's by the difference He's turning another words, witness. Right? That's correct. <laughs> Or if a suspect is threatening you when you're arrested. This is worth every That's moment. Correct. All right. Now, the whole concept of this ground defense program, as you testified, was to Holy really shit. use body weight and control to gain compliance of a subject, right? Yes, sir. And would you agree mm -hmm. that in any use of force situation, the circumstances can change from minute to minute, second to second? Yes, sir. So somebody who is initially compliant can suddenly become non-compliant. That's correct. Somebody who's peacefully going into custody could suddenly become violent towards an officer. That's correct. Somebody who is violent in one second becomes compliant could become violent again, right? Yes, sir. You've experienced that yourself, correct? I have. And an Dude. officer, in terms of the use of force, you, you don't himself. train officers specifically God. to only focus on the individual that they're taking into custody, do you? No. Do you train them on officers to consider and to take into consideration other factors? Yes, sir. Such wow. as other their partner safety. That's correct. Such as uh, a crowd. Correct. Wow. Such as the difference between a crowd, right? Like, yes, sir. Are they 
a happy crowd or are they an angry crowd? Yes, sir. <clears throat> In terms of, we were taught, we talked about the proportionality of the use of force and kind of sliding force up and down that model. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. Over 600 when an officer live. uses force, do they take into, do you train officers to take into consideration what happened immediately prior to the use of a particular use of force? Could you rephrase that, sir? I'm sorry. Sure. In terms of the continuation of the use of force, do you train officers to take into consideration what has happened with that suspect in, in the immediate preceding events? Yes, sir. So, for example, um, if you were just fighting with a suspect and that person becomes compliant, does that become a consideration in terms of uh, a continued use of force? Yes, sir. If someone has a sizable uh, or a large size difference, do you train officers to take that into consideration in terms of their use of force? Yes, sir. So, if wow. somebody... Uh, like George if some Floyd, person had uh, fought with more Logan than Mulford. one officer at a time. Do you use, do you train officers to take that into consideration as far as the continuing use of force? Yes. So one person against three people is a factor that officers would consider for the continued use of force. Yes, sir. Um, do you train officers relevant? to the use of force for people who are under the influence of controlled substances? Uh, it's a consideration, yes. And in your experience, have you ever had to use force against somebody who's under the influence of a controlled substance? Yes, sir. Do you train officers that certain controlled substances can cause a person to exhibit more strength than they would have otherwise? Yes, sir. So the, the going back to the ground defense program, the ground def control, excuse me, the ground defense program really uses a lot of joint manipulations, correct? Yes, sir. Pressure points? Uh, not so much pressure points with ground control. Okay. But Body weight pins? Yes, sir. Um, so uh, using your, the officer's body weight to physically control an individual, correct? Yes, sir. Now, you were previously interviewed by um, the FBI in connection with this case? Yes, sir. And you are aware that you, your statement was recorded, transcribed, and have you had an were you aware of that? I was aware of that. Have you had an opportunity to review your statement to the FBI? Nope. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you just some general questions, and if I need to refresh your recollection, I, I'll do so, okay? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so, um, in terms of Minneapolis Police Department policy, there's a difference between a chokehold and a neck restraint, correct? That's correct. A chokehold is considered a lethal or deadly use of force, correct? Correct. And a chokehold is defined by Minneapolis policy as specifically uh, blocking the trachea or the airway of the suspect from the front side, correct? Correct. So essentially what you would kind of think of as almost strangulation, putting your hands around someone's neck and squeezing the front of their neck, correct? Yes, sir. In this particular case, have you had an opportunity to review the body-worn cameras, the, um, sur the bystander surveillance, uh, or the bystander cameras? 
I have seen both, sir. Okay. Um, at any point, did you see Officer Chauvin use a choke hold in this case? No, sir. Now, in terms of neck restraints, uh, you said that you testified that you have been involved in the martial arts since college. David Moore says, let's go, Chad and Nelson, home run, Tom. mistaken that you also train MMA fighting? No, sir, I do not. Have you ever? No, sir. Okay. Um, but in the course of your training, both in martial arts as well as um, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and your training to become a use of force instructor, you have experienced neck restraints, correct? Yes, sir. And you have taught individual officers, I believe you say hundreds of times, and hundreds of officers on how to use a neck restraint, correct? Yes, sir. And a neck restraint, as you uh, have described it, is requires both sides of the neck to be compressed in order to render a person unconscious, correct? That is what we teach, yes. How much pressure has to be applied to both sides of the neck in order to render a person unconscious based on your training? Uh, it depends. Okay. On, on what factors? On the size of the person, uh, your skill, um, whether they're on narcotics or not, whether they're having an adrenaline rush, heart rate, general physical health. There's just a, a lot of factors involved. Okay. Uh, typically, do you have to apply a lot of pressure to, let's say, a healthy individual for a long period of time in order to render someone unconscious? I would say no. Right. Do you recall um, what is the percentage of pressure that you would generally expect to have to apply? I, I don't know if I can. Objection, Overruled. Question again, sir? Overruled. How, what amount of pressure do you have to apply typically in order to render someone unconscious? I don't know if I can answer that. It, it's very individual. Okay. Um, so you said factors such as um, controlled substance use play into it, correct? Yes, sir. And um, does if a suspect is on controlled substance, on a We'd controlled thank substance, you. Thank you again, does Sherry, that as well. speed up the process of rendering someone unconscious or slow it down? I think my experiences are that it speeds it up. And if someone has, you said another factor is if someone has an adrenaline surge, right? Yes, uh, sir. And if someone has an adrenaline surge coursing through their body, does a use of a neck restraint speed up or slow, or does that adrenaline speed up or slow down the unconsciousness? Objection, Your Honor. This is beyond more foundation your honor um i can refresh his recollection with his statement if that recalls Oh, damn. Refresh your recollection to review your statement. No sidebar. The judge refused. Adrenaline wow. and the impact of how it speeds Thank up you, or Weepy. slows down a neck restraint. I, I don't believe I need to see that. I, okay. I know the answer. What's the answer? The answer is uh, the higher your your blood rate or your uh, respiration and, and uh, heart rate is, generally the faster a neck restraint if affects somebody. And how long, based on your training oh, and experience, so does it typically up. take to render a person unconscious using a neck restraint? Uh, my experience is uh, under 10 seconds. Under 10 seconds? Yes, sir. Now, when a neck restraint <clears throat> is applied, 
under Does the Minneapolis seconds. Police Department specifically train people to be cautious when reviving or attempting to revive a suspect? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question, sir. In your experience, after a person has been rendered unconscious using a neck restraint, is it possible for them to continue to fight after they come back to consciousness? It is possible, yes. Have you experienced that personally? I have not experienced somebody fighting after neck restraint. Okay. But, you, but you're aware the Minneapolis Police Department trains people that that is a possibility? Yes, sir. <clears throat> and in fact, sometimes they can be just as aggressive or even more aggressive after coming to consciousness? That is possible, yes. Now, in terms of the use of a neck restraint specifically, um, there are circumstances, are there not, where an officer can continue to hold a person in a neck restraint after rendering someone unconscious? Hold somebody? Yes. And for a period of time, correct? Yes, sir. You can have your arm around their neck for a period of time, yes. And there would be circumstances that would affect an officer's decision on whether to hold that person in that position for some period of time, correct? Yes, sir. That would include maybe waiting for other officers to arrive? Yes, sir. Waiting for EMS to arrive? Uh, I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far, no. Okay. You also uh, train in the de training department officers on the, what are called the human factors of force, correct? Yes, sir. And generally, can you describe what the human factors of force are? You wouldn't go that far. Uh, yes, sir. I'm uh, not waiting on the EMS. Uh, it, it, it involves either a startle response to the officer out. or getting scared or having a, a, an, an adrenaline rush or adrenaline dump in their body. And it affects your cognitive, physical um, abilities in, when you encounter stress like that. So it's fair to say that when an officer is engaged in a use of force incident, his or him or herself, they may experience a rush of adrenaline as well, right? Yes, sir. You've experienced that yourself? Yes, sir. And after a situation has calmed down to some degree, the officer experiences an adrenaline rush, or dump, excuse me. Uh, the adrenaline can continue to course through the body, yes. And at some point it, it leaves? Yes, sir. And that adrenaline uh, officers are trained on this, correct? Yes, sir. It's a part of the standard training for both re recruit officers in the academy as well as veteran officers in their in-service. That's correct. How frequently is the human factors of force taught to police officers? I believe we teach it about once a year. We discuss the, the human factors of force. You also train officers to be very much aware of their surroundings at all times. Correct? Yes, sir. And you were asked a series of questions about continuing to hold someone in a prone position, and you used the term you could hold them there until the scene is code, code four. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. And so it's fair to say that the Minneapolis Police Department would train officers under certain circumstances to hold a person in a prone position until the scene is safe, correct? There are circumstances where that is appropriate, yes. And some of those circumstances would, could be the reaction of bystanders, correct? That may be a factor, yes. It could include where you are physically located in terms of a geographical area, correct? Yes. 
right? Um, where you are in terms of other hazards that may present themselves to an officer or to the suspect, right? Yes, sir. Being in a busy street, in the middle of a busy street, versus being in a park or a yard or something. Yes, sir. Clifford C. Clavis says, out, out, quoting the pastor from last night. Now, we might have him on the show. Also describe the Minneapolis Police Department's policy in terms of rendering medical aid as best you can, right? Yes. You an officer is required to do that, correct? Yes, sir. But there are certain circumstances, correct me if I'm wrong, where an officer has to consider whether it's safe for the officer to do so, correct? Yes, sir. And in fact, the training that Minneapolis police officers receive requires it to be safe for an officer to render medical aid, agreed? Um, generally, yes. And one of the considerations an officer has to make in determining whether to render medical aid is whether or not the suspect is uncuffed, is cuffed or uncuffed, right? That may be a factor, yes. There are circumstances where you've been fighting with a person and they are hand, you've gotten them handcuffed and you have to decide, is it worth the risk to take these handcuffs off to give this person medical aid? Yes, sir. 700 viewers again. Unhandcuffed. 420 suspect, on Trovo, 280 on YouTube. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Again, correct? That is correct. You have to decide is that a risk you're willing to take? Yes, sir. You also described the recovery position, correct? Yes, sir. And the recovery position could be rolling someone on their side, sitting them up, or standing them up, right? Yes, sir. And again, there would be circumstances, you can envision circumstances where you would not put a person into the recovery position, correct? Um, yes, sir. And again, all of those factors that we've kind of talked about in terms of partner safety, personal safety, safety of the subject, safety of the crowd, all of those things are going through that critical decision-making model process, right? Yes, sir. Now, Sorry, that was in terms loud. of the Uh, use of body weight to um, hold a suspect, right? Um, you have, you train officers to use their knee across the back shoulder or the shoulder to the base of a neck of a subject, correct? Yes. That is something that is specifically trained by the Minneapolis Police Department, whether it be for handcuffing purposes or simply prone control of a subject. Yes, sir. So if a person is being handcuffed, officers are specifically trained to put a knee across the shoulder blade of the suspect to the trapezius, is that what it's called? Tra yeah, trapezoid, yeah. Something that... Yeah, sure. I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is routinely trained by the Minneapolis Police Department, both in terms of the academy as well as the... Um, 
as well as in service? Situationally, yes. And simply because a person is handcuffed, there would be other circumstances where you would use that body weight, that, that prone control technique to maintain, maintain control of a subject, correct? Yes. And in terms of We could publish Exhibit 17. Yeah, I'm going to make a new podcast feed for this, by the way. If we could publish Exhibit 17. Because it's going to double my price plan if I don't. About whether this is an, I'm going to put it on a free appears feed. appears to be a trained Minneapolis uh, Probably anchor. neck restraint. Yes, I was asked that. And you said no. no. Correct. Correct. But it is, you, you, you hedged a little bit and said it may be some other training. Perhaps. What would that training be? Uh, using body weight to control. Um, however, I will add that we don't, we tell officers to stay away from the neck when possible. And if you're going to use body weight to pin, to put it on their shoulder and, and be mindful of position. All right. And we can take this down. And just to the witness, I'd like to display a couple of. This is um, page 41 of exhibit 126. Just show this to the witness. Can you see that, sir? Not yet. Oh, sorry. It's, it's, this is already in, in uh, evidence, but in this bottom corner here, do, yes, you, do you see a photograph of an individual? Oh demonstrating how what? to handcuff a person. That kind of looks familiar. And that knee is across the neck of that individual, correct? Uh, the knee is on his far shoulder. Across the neck, the base of the neck. The shin would be from his toes up to the, the knee. Yes, the shin is across the back of the neck. Right. So wow. that's when we're talking about prone that looks handcuffing. very familiar. This is a specific kind of photograph that demonstrates the placement of a knee as it applies to prone handcuffing, correct? Correct. And ultimately, if that person were to be handcuffed and circumstances dictated, the officer would be permitted to continue to hold his knee in that same position. Agreed? Uh, I would say uh, yes. What? Uh, however, what? we've cautioned officers that be mindful of the neck area and to look for the shoulder for okay. placement. Perfect. We can take this down. What? That looked just like, what the fuck? Can we take that down, Your Honor? show you what has been introduced as Exhibit 56 already. Can you see that, sir? A little glare, but 
Yes, sir. It appears to be the. Uh, sure. Yes, sir. It appears to be the paramedic checking the carotid pulse of Mr. Floyd. Yes, sir. In your experience, uh, this is already admitted as Exhibit 56. In your experience, would you be able to touch the carotid artery if the knee was placed on the carotid artery? No, sir. This is unbelievable. Sir, I'm showing you what's been marked for identification purposes. This guy's wondering how much longer he's got to retire. 1045. Can you just generally take a look at that? Yes, sir. Now, in terms of, uh, do you recognize that this appears to be a still photograph taken from the body-worn camera of one of the involved officers? That's what it appears to be, yes. There's a timestamp on it that indicates May 25th, 2020 at 2023-32. Yes, sir. And can you see um, two officers Press F for Minneapolis in small this businesses. area here? Oh, my God. Uh, holding Mr. Floyd? Yes, sir. And if I can clear this. Here, does that appear to be the placement of one officer's knee and leg? Uh, yes, sir. Does that appear to be across the shoulder blade to the base of the neck? Uh, the shin appears to be across the shoulder blade. I don't know if I can tell you where the knee is. You can't even tell. Okay, well, there's a reasonable doubt. We'll just, uh, I would offer 1045. All right, 1045 is received. Permission to publish. Can we clear that? So what we're seeing here, again, this is at 823 and 32 seconds, correct? It looks like yes, it's by the book. this is taken from one of the body cameras, and here you can see... Uh, down in that area, the leg placement of the officer, correct? Yes, sir. And based on your observation of this photograph, it appears that the shin is coming from the, the top of the shoulder across the shoulder blade, correct? Yes, sir. And it, and it be, appears to be at an angle pointed in towards the squad car, correct? Yes, sir. All right. If we could take this down, Your Honor. Unbelievable. <clears throat> Entropy. C.J. Siegel says the year is 2034. Supreme Commander Chauvin is leading his army west across the shattered wasteland of North America in an effort to unite the techno-barbarian tribes, teaching them his signature knee restraint techniques to prepare them for the coming final battle against the Floydian horde. I think I accidentally closed. Hang then on. he said Nelson is on another level. Seems like prosecution thought they had it in the bag, so they didn't prepare as well. I think so, too. I don't know what. They're getting wrecked, though. I do know that. <laughs> I did chat with like that. Oh, shit. Sure, I'm showing you what's been marked for identification purposes as 1046. Does that appear to be a similar uh, angle? Yes, sir. 
And I apologize, it was actually Officer Lane's body worn camera. 1045 and 1046. Again, can you see what appears to be the placement of the leg of one of the officers at the shoulder blade of Mr. Floyd? Uh, it appears so. You can see in this area here what appears to be the back or the calf area coming across the shoulder blade, correct? Yes, sir. Again, the timestamp is 10, 26, and 40 seconds? Yes, sir. And um, does that knee placement appear to be similar to how a Minneapolis, or excuse me, similar to the placement in the previous exhibit? The last exhibit, sir? Yes. Yes. And that was roughly a couple of minutes after, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I would offer exhibit 1046. Mm -hmm. Eight, twenty-six, and forty seconds. Twenty, twenty-six, forty. No objection. One zero four six is received. Permission to publish. So again, it's a little hard to to see in this particular photograph, but if we look in this general area here, correct? You attend. You can see uh, the the placement of the knee. Correct. I can see the general Thanks, area. Thank thank you. Yes. Clifford Clayman, thank you as well, we sir. What appears to be the shin coming over the top of Mr. Floyd's the shoulder blade. That's what it appears, sir. Wow. And that would be angled in towards the squad car, correct? Correct. Exactly like the manual. Take that down, Your Honor. Sherry says, unfortunately, I think many of the jury already believe Chauvin is guilty and they won't Sir, be fair. I'm showing well, you what's been marked for identification purposes you can only hope that's not as the case. 1047. Does that also appear to be a still frame image taken from a body-worn camera of a Minneapolis police officer? Yes, sir. Timestamp being 827 and 49 seconds? Yes, sir. 202749, mm -hmm. correct? Correct. And it appears that the officer wearing this uh, body-worn camera has now st stood up, correct? It's a different angle, sir, yes. From higher to lower, correct? Lower to higher, sir. Right. It appears that the camera is at a higher Lord Aragon, you have missed. Yes, Nelson just and absolutely turned this guy into defense Can you see witness. in this photograph? This is one of the best parts be of the trial, I'd say. And shin placement of the officer. Definitely go back and watch Yes, sir. And would you agree that it appears that the knee is placed in the center between Mr. Floyd's shoulder blades? It appears to be between his shoulder blades, sir, yes. Wow! I'd offer 1047. No! <laughs> Lane, yes. No objection. It was by the book, and it was only extended because of this psychotic crowd all around him. So again, here in this particular photograph, you can see the placement of Mr. Chauvin's knee in between the shoulder blades of Mr. Floyd, correct? Yes, sir. And it happens to be right here, that moment when the carotid artery is being palpated by the EMT. Yes, sir. We could take this down. Let me show you one last He's up there like his bat batting practice for Nelson, dude. Again, does this appear to be a photograph taken from or a still frame image of a uh, Minneapolis police 
Yeah, what a great camera. prosecution witness. Yes, sir. Time being 10, 28, and 29 seconds. Yes, sir. Excuse me, 20, 28, 29. 20, 28, 29, sir, yes. Which would be 8, 28, 29. Correct. And again, can you see the placement of Officer Chauvin's knee? Yes, sir. Can you see Mr. Floyd's head? Yes, sir. I'd offer 1048. Any objection? Yes, they're all in. No objection. 1048 is received. Permission to publish? And again, it's a little hard to see here. You can see Mr. Floyd's head in that area? Yes, sir. And Mr. Chauvin, Officer Chauvin's knee between the shoulder blades of Mr. Floyd? Yes, sir. Does this appear to be a neck restraint? No, sir. Does this appear to be a prone uh, hold that some an officer may apply with his knee? Yes. We can take that down here. Now you've you uh, have talked about taking. A, or holding a person in the prone position after they have stopped resisting. Do you recall talking about that? Yes, sir. And are there circumstances in your career where you have had to use your body weight to hold a suspect down for longer periods of time than, say, two or three seconds? Yes, sir. And are there times where you have had to use your body weight to use to hold a suspect down for 10 minutes? I'm not sure if I have held somebody down for 10 minutes or not. I, I, I don't have a recollection of that, sir. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. And there are circumstances, again, that an officer has to take into consideration in terms of continuing to use their body weight regardless of whether the person is resisting or not resisting, right? Um, rephrase that? Sure. Sometimes an officer has called for EMS, correct? That's correct. And sometimes an officer may hold a person using their body weight to restrain them, awaiting the arrival of EMS, correct? Yes, sir. You've done that yourself? I have. And sometimes you've had to, or was it fair to say that you've had to train officers to use their body weight to continue holding them until EMS arrives? Uh, as long as needed to control them, yes. <clears throat> you would agree that um, a scene where force has been used and a crowd can congregates and is voicing their displeasure or their concern or whatever you want to say, that can be a chaotic situation for an officer, right? Yes, sir. And you would agree also that what you train Minneapolis police officers to do relevant to their use of force is to consider the totality of the circumstances. Agreed? Yes, sir. And you train officers that the decision to use force is from their perspective. Yes, sir. Not the perspective hindsight being 2020. 
That's correct. One for unanimous guilty. Policy of Minneapolis Police Department. Two for mistrial. I believe that's Graham versus. Three for unanimous acquittal. Is encapsulated or incorporated into the Minneapolis Police Department policy on the use of force. Correct. Correct. Because situations are rapidly evolving. Correct. That's correct. And sometimes just because a, a an incident is ten minutes long or twenty minutes long. That doesn't mean that it can't instantaneously change. That's correct. Right. What may not be a threat one second can be a threat the next. I put two, correct. but I'm seeing a lot of threes. I put two for mistrial. <clears throat> the, uh, mistrial slash hung jury. I mean, technically, that's a mistrial too, I think, right? Have you ever been trained or trained others to say, that if a person can talk, they can breathe? Uh, it's been said, yes. I'm hoping for three, though, because I feel like threes. It, it should be three. In terms of the, the, continuing, the continuation of the use of force, right? Or, excuse me, not the use of the continuation. <laughs> the uh, graphic that we look at. Three as in unanimous acquittal. One ten. If we could uh, publish Exhibit 110, Your Honor. This is the Defense Control and Response Training Guide, correct? That's correct. Simply because a person is not actively resisting, right, that, that doesn't mean you can't use some degree of force, correct? Uh, that's correct. If a person is passively resisting, you can still use certain types of force, right? Yes, sir. That's down in this area here. Correct? Correct. And that would include the use of joint manipulation, escort holds, pressure points. Correct? Yes, sir. <clears throat> we could take that down here. Sorry. Sorry, we could take it down. You were asked a series of questions about um, the strike chart and the neck, you know, the, the red, yellow, and green zones. Yeah, it's called the Monadnock chart, sir. Yes, for striking. That is, the that what? chart is designed specifically for punches, baton strikes, things of that nature, correct? That's where we use that graph, yes. In terms of the maximal restraint technique, you were describing the use of the maximal restraint technique? Yes, sir. And again, officers are trained to sometimes escalate the use of force in certain circumstances, correct? Yes. And de-escalate the use of force in certain circumstances? Yes, sir. If an officer decides initially to use the maximal restraint technique and then subsequently decides against it, because of a medical situation or because of a lack of resistance, or would that be a de-escalation of the use of force? Uh, yes. Is it more or less difficult to render medical aid if someone is in the maximal restraint technique? I would say it was pr probably a little bit more difficult right. to maneuver around that. 
you would not be able to put them on their back, for example. It would be difficult for yes. In terms of the use of force, um, part of the ground defense program is actually to use body weight as a form of de-escalation, is it not? Uh, yeah, it's use of force that uh, may be used instead of higher escalations of force, yes. But sometimes holding someone in a position can be a de-escalating technique. Yes, sir. And ultimately, um, again, in terms of the use of um, force and deciding how much force should be used, the difference in size of an officer to a subject is a consideration. It is a consideration, yes. As well as the presence of other officers, right? Yes, sir. You would agree that basically the use of force in any circumstance is incredibly dependent upon the situation? Yes, sir. And when an officer is using force, they are to employ the critical decision-making model, correct? They should be using that at all times. But including the use of force? Yes, sir. And that critical decision-making model is not simply focused exclusively on the subject of, whom, of the force being used, correct? It's a situational awareness tool. And the situational awareness extends beyond just the subject. That's correct. It extends to numerous factors. Correct. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Mr. Slisher. Redirect here. Name search Nelson on Twitter. Thank okay, you, I will. Your Honor. Winston Fusimori, thank uh, you, brother. To follow up on some questions that counsel was asking you regarding uh, the use of force being reasonable in the eyes of the officer, that's the, that's what you you answer the training is. Is that right? Uh, at the the, moment the officer involved at the moment the force is used. Yes. But force is always subject to review, correct? Yes, sir. And review is always going to be after the fact, right? That's correct. And the force that's used and reviewed must be reasonable. That's correct. Taken from that perspective, the perspective of the officer at the time, correct? That's correct. But the officer doesn't have the unfettered discretion to use whatever force they wish. No, they do not, sir. Now, uh, if we could take a uh, publish the Exhibit 110 again, which is the control guide continuum. Ah. Right. Now, when we look over here on the left-hand side and we're talking about what force can be used and what's proportional, we see that uh, the officer is to look at the subject behavior. Is that right? Uh, for force on the subject, yes, sir. And the amount of force that they use that's proportionate has to be proportionate to the subject's behavior, correct? Uh, generally speaking, yes. So if, for example, a group of bystanders were doing something uh, that the officer might find uh, annoying, such as videotaping, right? 
that act would not be subject control behavior, would it? No, sir. And that act would not justify the use of force or escalation of force by the officer, would it? That alone, sir, no. Because that's not subject controlled behavior, correct? Correct. So if we could then publish uh, Exhibit 184. Exhibit 184 has been received into evidence, and what you see here is a, a, a group of bystanders. Is that right? Yes, sir. And in a couple of instances, you can see the bystanders have something in their hands, correct? Yes, sir. And those appear to be video cameras, is that right? Or uh, smartphones? Yes, sir. That uh, extra fact would not justify an increased use of force, would it? Just the camera, sir? No. If you could take down Exhibit 184. The uh, acceptable use of, uh, of a knee across a subject's back, it's a transitory position. Is that right? Yes, it is. It's meant to be used to gain control of the subject while the subject is being handcuffed. Correct. correct. Um, but all force must end at some point. Is that right? That is correct. And uh, once a subject is under control and no longer resistant, it's inappropriate to hold them in, in a position where you're draping your knee across their back or neck, isn't it? I would say it's time to de-escalate force, sir. And get off of them? Yes, sir. You talked about the prone position in and of itself being something that can lead to uh, positional asphyxia. Is that right? Yes, sir. Would that risk be increased by the addition of body weight? Yes, sir. And so if an officer was placing body weight on the knee, with a knee on the neck or the back, or the knee, uh, sorry, the neck and the back, that would transfer the officer's body weight onto the person, correct? Yes, sir. And that would increase the uh, restriction, I guess the de decrease the ability of the subject to breathe. Is that right? Potentially, sir, yes. Damn, be a little bit louder with your fucking page and, turning, dude. Uh, it would not be, or I ask you, would that be appropriate to hold someone in a position where it's more difficult to breathe for an extended period of time after the subject has stopped offering resistance? I can re rephrase that, sir. Would it be appropriate and within training to hold a subject in that prone, restrained position with a knee on the neck and a knee on the back for an extended period of time after the subject has stopped offering any resistance? No, sir. Or has uh, lost their pulse? No, sir. Uh, you testified that uh, an individual can be unconscious one moment and then uh, suddenly become conscious and become violent, correct? Potentially, yes, sir. Have you ever had a circumstance where an individual has lost their pulse and suddenly come back to life and become more violent? <laughs> what? Not that I'm aware of, sir. Nothing further. Any further questions?
Yeah, it's all been prosecution so far, Trash Boat. They get to present their case first, then the defense. Sir, in terms of the use of force and the continuation all these of the witnesses use of force, prosecution witnesses. Uh, you were just shown Exhibit 184. I'm going to ask to republish 184. Looking at this individual right here, does it appear that the man in blue is holding back the man in black? Yes, sir, the guy with the boxing shirt on? Yes, sir. Wow. He's holding back at a glance. Yep. Now, in terms of the, con the continuation of use of force, and we're talking about involvement of onlookers, right? The words they use matter, correct? Yes, sir, they do. If they're cheering on and saying, good job, officer, that's one consideration, right? Correct. But if they're saying, I'd slap the fuck out of you, or Whoa. you're a pussy, or you're a chump, would that reasonably tend to rise alarm in a police officer? Yes, sir. I have no further questions. And if they're saying, get off him, you're killing him, should the officer also take that into account and consider whether their actions need to be reassessed? Potentially, sir, yes. Nothing further. Thank you, Lieutenant. Thank you, sir. You're excused. Appreciate that. I bet they're going to call Tom. We're going to take a yeah. recess. I have two meetings, so we won't be able to reconvene until 1.30. Thank you. So that'll be 2.30 here on the east coast i won't be here maybe if i get back i might go visit my mom like right now and then maybe if i get back i might do an afternoon stream can't promise that uh but we did get the court retort in this morning uh, uh we set our new viewer record i believe uh, almost 800 people uh 780 or so here watching the court retort live i knew they were about to go to lunch though I knew it. I could feel it. There was only ten minutes left. They weren't gonna call. They weren't gonna call a whole new witness uh, before lunch. I thought Nelson really fucking killed it uh, with his cross examination of Lieutenant Johnny Mercil, who is like a, I guess he's like a specialist. Let me look him up. Actually, let's get a little background on this guy. Uh, now he's involved with the training. If you watch the whole thing, you got a little background on him. For people who came late, though, uh, let's see if we can find this. Uh, let's see if we can get a little background on this guy. Use of force instructor. Uh, and, uh, they're test saying t he testified he did not observe a chokehold, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Johnny Mercil who trains officers in the use of force. Uh, so I guess that's all the background. That's a pretty weak background. Uh, but, uh, he, he trains, it, trains them in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He went into that a little bit, uh, which was a nice sidebar. Uh, but I thought Nelson just really turned him into a defense witness at certain points, really with the stuff. And when he showed the manual with the knee over the guy's <laughs> neck, quote unquote, just like Chauvin had it, um, to me, that's pretty powerful evidence. Uh, you know, is he going to win the win the game at the end of the day? I don't know, but to me, it's pretty persuasive to me sitting here watching it uh, where it's like this is a hostile scene. Uh, it's not like Chauvin wanted to kill this guy. Why would he? Do you think he wants to be on trial like this? What the fuck? I mean, it just defies belief. Uh, I don't think, what do you, unless you just think Chauvin's some, some kind of psycho. Uh, to me, it, I think he's presented a pretty persuasive case. 
and we'll see how it goes. Uh, and he hasn't even got to call his own witnesses yet. That's another thing that I think, um, you know, maybe some people aren't taking into account. I think most people agree that he's doing a hell of a job, uh, and, and it's maybe even turned the tide completely. Uh, but he hasn't even got to present his own case yet, call his own witnesses, his own experts. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the fentanyl, but not as much as, as they're going to, I would imagine, uh, stuff like that. I think uh, I think it's going to get even better actually uh, from here. So Felix Rex says this is circus. This is entertainment. Well, yeah, I mean that's, that's of course that's true. Um, we're here covering it live daily, ten thirty a.m. Eastern to one thirty p.m. Eastern. Uh, look at the rolling background that we have now. Shout out to Gamer Aesthetics, man! What a legend! What an absolute legend! Oh. It looks really good. We're gonna have to get something like that for the for the killstream proper. This is the court retort. Uh, killstream presents the court retort. Uh, it's a little bit separate uh, property here. Uh, let's see. Clifford C. Clavin says, "Has there been any speculation as to who the defense will call as witnesses?" I think that they've submitted a list, right? Um, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look at that, but I think you have to submit a witness list, right? Uh, but okay, let me read these. CGI Seagull says Nelson is on another level. Seems like, oh, I read that one already. The next one, uh, CGI Seagull says full acquittal so we can have a full summer of Killstream riot coverage. Oh, it's about that time, I guess. Polino Whitestrake says Chad Nelson is no doubt doing a spectacular job, but does it really matter? I'm sure the prosecution knows what will happen if he gets off and so does everyone else in that room. Um, that was one of the things they questioned a lot of the jurors about, uh, and pretty much every single juror to a man or to a woman, uh, was conscious of the, of the fucking racial tensions and the riots that happened. Uh, and they were questioned extensively over it. Some of them brought it up on their own. Um, so all this stuff is reality. These people live in the real world. Like, like we do some of them, some of them anyway, I'm assuming. Uh, so they know they i'm assuming they know the ramifications uh etc so yeah it's a tough bar i mean like i've said all along it's a tough bar to get over he's still the underdog even with all this this great performance that he's had but um i don't know we're gonna be covering it every day we'll see what happens i mean you know if we, say we covered every day and he kills it he fucking slays it and then well they lose at the end i mean that's very possible that that happens uh, so definitely, you know, be prepared for that to be the case. But, um, you know, we're still going to sit here and document it. I would say reasonable doubt's already been raised, if you ask me. Um, but I think there's a lot more to go. So we'll see how that goes. Now, but is it even possible to get a full acquittal? I don't know. I voted mis, you know, mistrial slash hung jury on mine. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You never know what's going to happen in that jury room. All right. Now. That's the end of the morning coverage. I may or may not be back uh, late afternoon. Check that out. This has been Court Retort number five. Should we play our music? I think we should. By the way, I didn't get as, get as many calls in today because uh, I'm trying to figure out a podcast stuff and do some other uh, work as well because uh, I'm going to set up a separate podcast feed for this, like I mentioned, because if I don't, it's going to eat up. Libsyn charges a pretty penny uh, for their shit, and it's based on size. So I can't, I mean, it's like basically it's another show per day. So that's going to double my bill with them, and I'm not doing that. So I'm just going to put it up on like a free podcast, probably Anchor or something like that. Uh, Sherry D., thank you for the late Radical Rooster. Let's go ahead and uh, hear our music here, I think. Chauvin's theme.
Borgon, thank you, buddy. I just saw you chimed in with the big patronage. Holy shit. Much appreciated. Savage DJ, thank you, sir. turnout we almost hit 800 today about 780 or so something like that thank you so much we'll be back 10 a.m eastern still seems like a lot of flash show and i might even come back today we'll see but i'll definitely be back tonight 9 30 p.m eastern the kill stream